0: After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with aji verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire-charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit themeateater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. The Meat Eater
1: Podcast. You can't predict anything.
0: Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from Merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. All right, man, super special guest today. We're joined by Seth Kantner, who I've been wanting to have on for a long time. Writer, photographer, commercial fisherman, hunter, born in a sod igloo in Alaska. Or a cave, raised in a sod igloo.
2: Go ahead. Well,
3: <laughs> fill in, fill in the gaps.
4: <laughs>
2: um, sadly enough, it's true. I, um, when I uh, finally was able to find a girlfriend in my uh, middle ages, I uh, she started saying I was born in a cave, and I was like, <laughs> no, it was uh, it just had a tunnel and uh, dirt floor and. And, uh, I went to a lot of work to describe how it wasn't a cave. And now I'm sort of accepting that (laughs) 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 Uh, a lot of mice running around on the floor and dark and caribou hairs and everything, um, caribou hides to sleep on and caribou furs to wear and caribou mucklucks. And that's, I guess, why I ended up writing about caribou. Yeah. So (laughs) they say right what you know about,
0: (laughs) uh, we're gonna get into his book. You got a lot of books though. Three, three
2: books now. Four books. I think it's five or six. Yeah, one's a children's story. But, but I, I first became aware of you when Ordinary Wolves came out. That was my first book. That was your first novel. Book? I wrote it as a novel to, uh, so I could tell the truth about um, uh, Northern Alaska and Inupac villages and being a white boy in the uh, in the Native uh, communities I grew up in and um, and uh, I didn't really tell the Alaska that people are used to and had a hard time finding a publisher because of it. And Oh, you did? Uh, oh, abs friggin' loot. I got $1,500 advance after 10 years of trying to get it published. you kidding me. Yeah. Oh yeah. But that book got around a lot though. Uh, a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it kind of shocked people. I, I was always irritated, uh, as a kid reading about, well, I didn't want to read about Alaska. super boring. Mm-hmm. Um, we had so much, uh, you know, bear licking the <laughs> axe or, you know, uh, every wolves outside hauling at the dogs. And so to read about Alaska was super boring. And um, and uh, when you did, it was all glamorized and uh, bullshit. And so when I wrote about it, uh, that country, I wanted to kind of describe the, the real stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, which had to include, you know drunks with AR-15s and yeah. and uh, stuff that uh, maybe the uh, New York houses didn't want to hear about Alaska and yeah, expected yeah. you to leave out. Um, yeah, that was my first book. It took mm-hmm. me probably 20 years of trying to get to that. Yeah, And then you followed that up with shopping for porcupine. Yeah, people wanted a memoir and I didn't realize it was weird to grow up in a sod igloo and, uh, and be sort of separated from people and uh, I expected a lot from humans. We didn't see them very often, and and we would sort of run barefoot up the hill and tell my parents, "Travelers." You know, that was the word for people. You know? Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, whoops! I almost said the wrong word. But anyway, um, yeah, travelers. It was a big deal back then because they brought uh, news of other villages. Usually, any pack hunters, and um, and uh, we just saw people the least of you know most animals. And, um, so bear bears, super common grizzly bear show up, but, but people were not. So, um, ah, I could go on and on about all this, but anyway, I didn't realize until partway through my life that I was sort of in between, uh, white and, uh, native and in between sort of, uh, human and, uh, or nature and, uh, humans. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then when I did go out into this, uh, what we called the white world, it was, uh, incredibly difficult to understand, um, why people didn't make sense, which now I've accepted that they don't um which is uh, a lot easier once you accept that, but um at that point it was like, well bearish to me makes sense mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then also there's that whole thing where when you're armed and dangerous as a you know iggly boy, I never went anywhere without a uh very few places without a gun, and um it was kind of like a shovel, you know you don't think of it as a um all this stuff about guns now is weird, but it was more like shovels. Yeah, I'm um, with you. So um, take your shovel. Um, and so to me, the idea of like uh, everybody being excited about a bear being dangerous is such a weird concept compared to what about humans? I mean, they're so fucking dangerous mm-hmm. um, and weird and unpredictable. <laughs> and bears generally, especially like a, you know, Well, I can tell you a lot more people own guns because of humans than they do because of bears. (laughs) Yeah, well. (laughs) Uh, My worldview is uh, horribly warped, and I'm just at 57, I'm finally realizing that.
0: Um, Well, we'll get into that.
2: Okay. Then you followed up
0: (laughs) most recently. Well, this is, I love this book, man. A Thousand Trails Home, Living with Caribou, which like kind of moves outside of just general. I mean, there's a lot of general broad experience. You talk a lot about growing up. But it gets, I mean, it gets into the the sort of biology, the biology of caribou along with the cultural significance of caribou. Um, it really paints like a really in-depth picture. And what I like about it is you can't talk about I shouldn't say you can't, reading the book, one realizes you cannot talk about caribou without talking about people.
2: Absolutely, yeah, which is pretty indicative of everything we have going on with uh, the modern world. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I just, I can't stand that to a certain extent. It's like, I want to protect uh, the wild land up there, and, and the, which is, you know, me protecting my lifestyle. But you, you got to turn your focus to people, which is a painful thing. You know, I want to focus on caribou and bears and wolves, but it all goes back to the people and them arguing over you know, more and more resource conflict and who gets to hunt what. And, um, so it was a really hard book to write for me because I didn't know what to say. And I, I guess to a certain extent, I still don't. And I did the best I could to go back and describe, you know, the whalers coming and, and what that meant for, uh, for natives in Alaska and, and, and very quickly what it meant for caribou, which was, you know, um, um, almost wiping out the herds and, mm. um, and then to... And that was that had to do with uh, firearms coming, and then nowadays we have um, basically this big influx of, uh, of uh, uh, technology, cell phones, communication. So if a caribou swims across the Kobuk River, uh, people know pretty quickly, and and uh, and so there's all these boats and semi-automatic uh, guns, and so being a caribou is um, is um, starting to look like it did. Um, in 1875, when uh, rifled uh, um, um, muskets and, and then uh, repeating guns first arrived in the Arctic, it's this um, uh, danger zone for um, us uh, wiping out animals with our technology. Yeah. So that's confusing. But the the thing I really wanted to do with this uh, uh, book was. Um, describe, you know, my love of caribou, which started with, you know, meat and and furs and, uh, you know, utilitarian use. And then uh, just the idea of being out on the tundra and having this, you know, thousands of caribou come uh, across the, across the tundra towards you and that companionship on the land. So, you know, all these different forms of greed, I think, where you like, uh, you know, caribou roasted ribs and you like the the warm furs, but you like the companionship of this animal too. And, um, and what it would mean to be on a, on an empty land if we, if we mess up, you know, that's one of the
0: things we're going to cover off on some stuff. But one of the things I want to get into is the long line, just as an outside observer who enjoys just spending time in Alaska as a tourist, you know, uh, the long line of things that all seem to be competing to be the thing that ruins Alaska. Uh, meaning it was white people. It was the snow machine. It was the bolt action rifle. It was the Bush plane. It was, if you ask Buck Bowden, it was in reach devices. <laughs> oh yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's some, uh, it's been getting ruined a long time. Yeah. That's interesting. And, the, and uh, I, I think it was before this started, you were talking about these, these are the good old days and in some ways it, it, it really is because, uh, um, I like to say you know regardless of the crazy amounts of uh change we've had in climate and and because of it vegetation and then uh just kind of we're kind of buzzing with technology up there now uh lots of times i'm out on the tundra you know i just came from spending breakup i never saw a human though you know for almost a month and um uh just animals and trees and tundra and so the the land in some ways is is, uh, we're the ones who've really changed. Um, um, and, um, yeah, anyway, I always like writing about it. I, I have this impulse to, to describe that, uh, the Inupac people and the land and the connections and the, um, how we used to live, I guess, this focus on, um, every animal when it's fat, the Inupac were, uh, fixated on fat for survival. Um, so I grew up, if you, uh, if you came home with a skinny caribou, you were significantly more disgusting than a, a you know, serial rapist or or any other kind of criminal um, because you brought home the skinny caribou. Uh, oh. And um, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and uh, you laugh, but it's not funny. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, all that was back to survival. And, and um, the, the fat just kept your dog team and your family and yourself going. And um, I hate to tell you, but, uh, I got a cooler muktuk here next to my ankle that I'm gonna pull out here in a minute and, and uh, Alaskan change. <laughs> package.
4: So the, here, the whole here, idea. So here's beans. what I want. Yeah, get uh, start. We'll
2: need some cold weather afterwards. I'm not seeing that outside right now, but uh, get the get the muktuk ready, <laughs> and we're gonna
0: we're gonna talk about a couple things that we're gonna come back in and when we jump back in, we'll talk about caribou fat. Okay. All right. Uh. All the first light solitude kit is now uh, is now windproof. They added in a windproof membrane. So tried and true sanctuary line back in stock now was out, but now it's back in stock. And what's even better about the sanctuary line for whitetail hunting, improved windproof membrane. Okay. You can officially declare it that. So the solitude vest, solitude jacket, solitude bib, Sanctuary 2.0 jacket, Sanctuary 2.0 bib. Check them out if you want to kill big, huge whitetails and not be chilly. Oh, so Seth is officially married. Yep. Now, when you set your date, did you realize that you'd set your wedding date for Custer's death? No. Oh, that's Never cool. occurred to you. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Dude, the minute you told me you were getting married that day, I was like, oh, that's the day Custer died. And I know exactly what I'm going to talk about when I officiate the
1: wedding. No, never occurred to me. Huh. Didn't occur to me that it was the Canyon Fairy Walleye Derby either, but, <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, you live and you learn. <laughs>
3: <clears throat> that was like served to you on a silver platter.
1: Oh, I couldn't believe it when you told me that. <laughs> the The next
5: day I went to, we we had like, a, you know, very Catholic, like memorial for my grandpa's passing, which happened about 10 years ago. Yeah. So I drove over to Billings, saw the fam, had this deal, and, and my stepdad was walking around being like, you know what happened this weekend, right? (laughs) 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 I was like, huh, interesting. We're at a memorial for someone who passed away, and somebody is bringing up the death of George Armstrong Custer, which was geographically much closer to where we were. Yep. And the day prior, we were at um, a ceremony celebrating the union of two people, and you brought up George Armstrong Custer. And it just kind of made me think, what would be the more appropriate venue?
0: Seth's wedding. (laughs) (laughs) There's confusion because Little Bighorn is July 25 and 26, but Custer got killed on 25, and it was just kind of like a skirmish over on uh, what the hell's his name? June. Sorry, June 25, 26. You're going to confuse people. It was just like a little bit of a skirmish going on on the 26th. But yeah, man. Couldn't believe it, Seth. A couple of my
6: ancestors it. went down with old George Armstrong yeah The
0: Henderson's yep. represented on that that fateful day, mm-hmm. Seth's uh, anniversary.
5: You think they had an idea what was what they were getting into?
6: Well, you I don't know. It happened a long time ago. You know what really threw me for a loop
4: <laughs>
0: last night, Seth? What's that? Uh you know how you and Chester think you're all the shit on catching walleye's? Yeah. I was going fish they are for the fish. shit. <laughs> I was going fish for fish with Chester last night.
1: Well, he's probably which makes you me on. feel like I could be like no, no. <laughs> makes me feel like I could like be in
4: there tying you, you guys what, at
1: the tournaments. What we need to do is get two boats fish for fish. Two boats, you and someone else, me, me and Chester. I oh, man. and that's how we'll figure out who the best wool I'm in is. I mean, Should you guys limit out. We limited out on our top end fish.
6: Yeah. Meaning we you got just, one over 15
0: <laughs> inches.
4: When we do this head-to-head
0: tournament. Yeah, but it's hard to limit out on the low-end fish. What, you got 20 of them or something like that?
5: When we do 10. this head-to-head tournament, though, uh, prior to, we need to go through Seth and Chester's boat and divvy up all the good shit. So <laughs> so we're on equal footing.
0: We can do that. Yeah, you are half in, we're, your you know, We are in, in my boat when I went fish for fish with Chester. My neighbor
1: got a goose egg. Oh, he did. Man, it was rough. It was I rough. heard you were getting them on uh, plastics. Some. <laughs> Where'd you... you hear that from?
4: <laughs> <laughs> Steve's
1: not into sharing tournament tips. <laughs> I heard that from the from Chester. I got my first one on a dr- leech. I was drowning. Oh yeah, my my really talk Chester. My barrel leeches that I gave Chester to take along with him.
0: Uh, Real quick, speaking of Chester and weddings, when I get to Chester's house to pick him up, there's like a chaos at his house because his wife's wedding ring fell out of the, the diamond. diamond fell, yeah, I heard about fell this. Fell out of the ring onto a gravel driveway. Oh no. We sat on our knees for probably 15 minutes. He had it t- kind of down to like a circle about a yard wide, and he knew like what should be the center of the circle. And we spent about 15 minutes removing pieces of gravel one at a time out of that circle. And then Chester was like, oh, we should probably go fishing. And I'm like, man, if you want to <laughs> stay and look for this diamond, I'll stay and look for the diamond. I don't care. And he's like, no, nah, we'll go fishing. So I'm like, you should look up on the internet how to find a diamond in the
1: gravel. Um, I told him just to search where is my diamond. but uh, I, uh, I messaged Danielle and told her to go out at night with a headlamp. Well, that's yeah. what Chester learned. So
0: Chester was waiting he was going to, when we got back, he was going to go out with a light and spend his night looking for the thing. But then Danielle came back, his wife came back, and got some other friend yeah, Paul. to look. And he got a really bright light and was able to find the diamond. And he found the diamond in areas that we had cleared. We had declared it, like, we went out an ever-expanding gravel removal <laughs> circle. And the diamond was within what we had cleared out. You know searched so to speak
5: can we hit leeches real quick yeah i i was talking leech trapping
0: with steve i mm-hmm. would talk with jay siemens about leech trapping
5: well i did i just watched his youtube
0: videos i don't think you're so, in a good spot though i think you're in a stupid area
5: no well according to the the wide world of internet that seems like as good a spot as a lot I'm going to bounce around and but look, but I listen would go to, this to where
0: my
1: kids get leeches on them when they swim. Yeah, I, I got a spot for you because I wet-weighted in there for all of three minutes and came out with five leeches stuck. Oh, I like that. That's yeah. great. And my kids got it. I mean,
5: you guys do understand that the spot I hit is about a half a mile from my house in the spot no, that you guys nice. are talking about, right? It's a long ass So I'd like to like start at the center Yeah, the you could circle. order
0: five pounds of <laughs> leeches for what it would require to go around That's high. what I was going <laughs> to say. Like, There's exactly. a guy in three
6: forks that just gives them away.
5: But I made a... You know, uh, oh,
6: that's where my spot is. Well, this guy... He, look, for Bitwag. 25 bucks, you get more leeches than you use all F- summer.
1: It's 50 bucks a pound. Those are the leeches that you're using. It's like gold, dude. It's like morels. The (laughs) leeches you were using last night were from him. Um, He gets them from Minnesota. So are you
5: just chucking in a chunk of old meat or something every once in a while to keep these things alive? Are you
1: trying to keep them all? They'll live for months without food. Yeah, they live. I just keep the water. Yeah. Flushing the water. You just gunk up your water. No, pro leech
0: keepers do put like something in there. I can't remember what. I don't know. Let me, you know, I'll tell you why I don't know how to catch them real quick. My dad, one of my dad's best buddies was a guy named Ron spring and he owned spring sporting goods. And later he sold spring sporting goods, but he remained, uh, he was a commercial bait fisherman. So you got commercial fishermen, right? But he was a commercial fisherman that caught fish and bait. And he, he had a team of people that tied flies. He had a team of people that tied spawn sacks. He was a leech trapper, a wiggler trapper. Raised red worms, leaf worms, crawlers. He did everything, supplied all the live bait. He got to be in his early 80s, and I wanted to profile him for a magazine. And I pitched the magazine and got the green light to profile him. And when I approached him in his 80s, he said, No, because these are trade secrets. Oh, I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Couldn't believe it. Uh, he ate so much fish out of the great lakes that, um, they would every month or every, no, it was every six months. He'd go to university of Michigan to do tests on heavy metal contamination and, um, like testing his mercury and all that shit. So he'd go down there and they'd give him a list. They'd be like, okay, you got to go to the store, right? You need two dozen eggs, two liter bottle of Coca-Cola pound of butter. Three avocados, whatever, right? And they'd give him a list. And then he'd wait a couple minutes and they'd be like, okay, what do you got to buy at the store? And that was like the kind of shit they were testing with him. And he told me, and I'll quote him. He said, Steve, I wouldn't have remembered that list if I never ate a piece of fish at all.
5: <laughs>
0: uh, uh, so he felt like it was biased. <laughs>
4: <maybe? laughs> uh.
0: But I'd be like, but you don't know. Uh, Point I want to bear- get
5: out on this podcast, though, is it was. I built my leech trap. Oh, went out to a spot nobody has any business of going into. Threw my lead trap out, and somebody came by. <laughs> there are a couple people watching,
0: right? And they sabotaged it.
5: Yeah, oh, they no cut. Kidding. They cut my line. What? Which is really stupid, because they left like I, I used an old uh, line spool mm-hmm. and put some fly line backing on there. What they think? Made you, a, what they think you were doing? Well. I think they were probably even more confused when they took a look at a little tin full of, you know, old beef liver. <laughs> but they left that out there. They left the trash out there, but they just cut the line. And then took, like, the section of line attached to the reel. So, anyway. Hold on a You left the whole reel out there? Well, yeah, because I had a line. Oh, you were going to reel it in? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 'Cause you know it gets all boggy. No, no, I'm with you. Yeah, around. yeah. yeah. You don't gonna gonna... gotta worry about the thing all tangled up and shit.
5: Yeah, and I'm on in like full flip flop mode. I'm not so they stole my your reel. boots around. They just took the yeah, I don't it's very confusing. But well, no man.
0: no leeches. But they so. stole the reel or not stole the reel?
5: They stole the line off the reel.
0: And <laughs> left the reel. Yeah. God, such a like finicky thief.
5: <laughs> well, again, I think they He's probably like... had an idea of what was happening in their in their mind. Then oh, when you they, had started,
0: a set, they thought you had a set line.
5: Maybe. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Not a single leech.
5: Not a single leech. But I'm going to keep broadcasting out from from home here. So people When you get of Bozeman, ready, I'll turn
0: you on to a hotspot, man.
5: People of Bozeman, you find something soaking in a local settling pond around here. <laughs> don't it's not hurting it. you. Let <laughs> it be. Don't
0: touch it. Or we get one of those people that can speak to the dead and we go, go talk to Ron Spring.
5: Yeah, that'd be Korean.
0: Start setting that up.
4: All right.
5: The first meat eater medium the- podcast.
4: <laughs> put out the vibe. It's a great
1: space for a seance, honestly. I got to tell That's you a horrible
0: a story about Ron Spring real quick. Um, one of my greatest moments of shame. We were fishing. My dad caught a big northern, and it was real cold out, and it froze. And so later my dad f- said, hey, do you want to s- catch a big northern? And I was like, yeah. So he threw me the big northern and I caught it. (laughs) And I told Ron Spring I caught a whatever the hell inch northern. And it felt so bad I later called him back and said I didn't actually catch it like he thought. (laughs) I was little. That was my my birthday. That was my birthday to boot.
4: Oh, 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 man. That's
5: That's
0: a good one. (laughs) Uh, black bear. This is a crazy ass story. Reported by our friends at USA Today. I was so yeah. pissed. I texted Spencer this morning. I was like, How does USA Today know about this and we don't know about it? He's like, because they got 4,000 reporters. <laughs> a black bear in what state was this? Tennessee. Tennessee. A black a guy. Okay, a black bear gets a closed car open.
6: Yeah. Which is not unusual.
0: They no, figure out but how to get it. What is, in is unusual is what happens yeah. next. It's a hot ass day. He gets a door open gets in the car and starts eating scraps, but the door closes behind him. It gets up to 100 degrees that day and kills the bear inside.
6: 140 in the car. 140
0: degrees in the car, and the bear died inside the car of heat. Like what happens to people's dogs. Yep. And the the weird part is then the Fish and Game Agency uses it as a chance for people to to not leave bear attractants out. I'm like, I don't know... (laughs) That some shit in your car, which is closed, counts as leaving bear attractants
6: out. Yeah, you'd have to keep your car <laughs> it's like a little it's clean. It's a little bit it's of a stretch, like, My truck is littered with bear attractant from all the crumbs and shit my kids leave. Everybody's in cars. I just don't count that. I don't count like your car in your
0: driveway oh, no. closed as being like being not bear safe. Yeah.
6: You'd have to run a pretty
0: sterile car. <laughs> But I get the sentiment. They think the thing got in there. This is weird. He was in his car at 10 a.m. And he found the bear dead at 7 p.m. Middle of the damn day. Yeah. Huh. 95 ambient temperature. There's a picture of the bear. Kind of limp. Yeah.
5: Ugh. That's be a bad a rough way, to, way go. to go. Yeah, that's Bad brutal. way to go.
0: Another baby. I mean, it's like every other day. When we get to Seth in a minute here, he'll be able to speak to this. Not you, Seth Morris. Seth Cantor. Yeah, it's going to be a confusing podcast. Seems like every other day this happens. A miner, a gold miner in Yukon, the Yukon Territory of Canada, found a 35,000-year-old mummified baby wool mammoth.
4: That thing is so well-preserved. That thing is
0: badass with the big snout. What do they call that? A proboscis? What is that called? They named him Nunchoga. Nunchoga. 140 centimeters long. I mean, it looks just like a little emaciated baby mammoth laid out on a blue tart.
4: Yeah, like, you ever like, cop, every, you ever like come everything everything else when people like, find something
0: in the far north, there's a high likelihood it'll wind up laying on a blue tarp. Yeah, <laughs> you ever uh, you ever
2: come like across anything
6: cool like that? The
2: that um you guys are making me laugh because years ago I started calling myself uh, you know, part part of the blue tarp tribe. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we we lived along with South Tent City, uh along the edge of the Cotsby there is North Tent City and South Tent City, but we discovered blue tarps, I think this is about more, 30 years ago, and take four pieces of plywood, nail them together, and um, put a blue tarp over it. And the only thing is you look funny because the light, um, you know, under a blue tarp. And So anyway, we are the people of the blue tarp. Um, which, But speaking of mammoth, uh, I brought Corinne oh. a little chunk of uh, uh, mammoth ivory. No it's, way! I told her be careful because it's very addictive uh, searching for ivory. You just... Uh,
0: that's chunk of a Mammoth Tusk. Uh, yeah. That cool. blue
2: is uh, vivianite. It's a mineral that sort of um, deposits into, uh, soaks into the ivory. And so it's Damn, every man. time you find a piece of ivory, it's different color, either real dark or brown or. You didn't sand that, did you? Uh, not at all. No. Yeah. no. Um, it's remarkably like, like but, feels like polished. Where do you find something like that? Keep Along the, the river? river well, it's getting complicated nowadays because I think the state no longer wants you picking it up and the, and the feds don't. And, um, on native land, you you know, if you're not native, you're, you're not supposed to, it's, it's more, it's more complicated. I I don't know the laws about, you know, uh, mean high water, you know, sea level or yeah. along the shores, but people go along the shores looking and, um, um, it's very common to find, uh, I shouldn't say very common. You hear, oh, so-and-so found a... Seven foot tusk or or whatever, and wow. I was down on the coast looking, and uh, somebody just found a tusk, and um, I was searching this melting permafrost bluff, and came across this big round thing that I chipped out, and it was a turd, um, mammoth turd, and so I saved myself by saying I don't need the tusk. Everybody finds tusks; it's not very many people find mammoth turds, and um, so I. Carried it around in a ziplock for a while uh, and then uh, sent it to the university. They never thanked me for my shit. It was uh, (laughs) super disturbing. I never did hear back. But um, anyway, yeah, searching for mammoth ivory is super, uh, super addictive. And we find these big uh, uh, molars. Those are pretty common to find. Actually, should have brought a picture of one of those. But yeah, it's really fun. They say this this one was the...
0: uh... Best one found on the continent yet. And it had its last meal still in its stomach. Mm -hmm. Guess what it was eating, Yanni?
5: Mm, Circus peanuts. It was eating grass, Yanni. Good
4: one, Cal.
0: (laughs) Nebraska is introducing a... uh, You you can read about this at TheMeteor.com. Conservation, wildlife management. Nebraska introduces controversial July elk season. Damn. Hmm. Crop damage. Better have the freezer ready, people. Yeah, people are bent out of shape. Other people are not because they're just sick of losing corn crops. Shooting them in uh, land. They're they're working with landowners to lower elk herds in cropland areas.
6: Colorado used to have a spring summer crop damage hunt. In, yep, the like, elk
0: are spending the elk are spending their summer in the cornfields. Yeah. And not, I, not dispersing till the corn is picked.
5: Yeah. It's a private land only hunt. Um, even landowners have to pay like 10 or five bucks to get, get a depredation tag. And then, uh, it's open to residents and non-residents. Um, but you need to have prior permission from a landowner in the areas that they're carrying on the hunt in order to, uh
6: purchase a tag i I mean am i wrong maybe you know cal like it seems like this is a part of the state where they don't even really want a bunch elk running around in the first place
5: and that's typically how you know like the good folks at rmef can can tell you like when they go in when they used to go in and do uh reintroductions of elk it is, there's a very serious plan in place. Like these things, we want them to stay in between these highways in this type of habitat because they're, they're planning ahead for this type of conflict. I think there's only about 3,000 elk in the, in the whole state. And, uh, you know, a July hunt with cows carrying calves and Little soft horned bulls running around isn't as much, uh, uh, isn't very romantic compared to the way we all want to picture hunting elk, uh, but I, this can be effective for the, the folks they're catering to here.
4: Is it going to be too effective? I think that's what some audience members were writing in and well, kind of nervous about. Yeah.
0: Well, that's, I mean, that's like right. the great thing is like when it gets in any of the stuff with like, well, there's too many, like according to who? Right. Right. Yeah, I've waited my whole life to, you know, whatever. Some person in Nebraska be like, I've waited my whole life to hunt a elk in Nebraska. It's native elk range. He thinks it's too many because they're getting in his corn. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's nearly enough.
4: Mm-hmm. Right. So and it's like you're always
0: going to have that, yeah. right? Like according to who? Car um, insurance companies, crop insurance <laughs> right. people. Yeah. Uh, the the ornamental uh, landscape industry. Who? <laughs> And we People were, that don't want Lyme disease.
5: We were talking <laughs> about, you know what what I mean, you, yeah, yeah. before the podcast, too. It's there's all just as Steve's pointing out, a lot of different stakeholders. And the the really one of the few stakeholders that I actually care about are the folks who are like farming that ground well, you know, during this huge period of elk being non existent. Yep. And now somebody decided to put elk out there that are causing significant damage to the way they're making a living. And their whole business is based around, or, you know, was based with the idea of this type of competition not being part of the business plan. And so I do have some sympathy for those people that all of a sudden now here's this big X factor that is growing like crazy on the landscape. Yeah. It
0: probably seems like pretty academic when you point out to them that they used to be here. Like (laughs) define used to. They weren't here in my grandpa's. Like, right to first turn the ground over, right? So, what's used to mean? Yeah, yep. Down there on the river,
5: they're pulling um, uh, musk ox out of the riverbank. Yep, they used to be here. <laughs> it's hard.
0: Hey, you know when you take uh, some time to clean out, uh, let's say, like clean out your garage and you're like, man, how was I living like that with that place such a mess? Well, check this out. If you've been paying a fortune for wireless and then you switch over to Mint Mobile and get plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you'll be saying, how was I ever affording to do that way I did it before? It's time to switch okay, to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To so get this new customer offer and get your new 3-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com/meat eater. That's mintmobile.com/meat eater and you'll cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Again, mintmobile.com/meat eater. It's a $45 upfront payment required, which is the equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, LiquidIV.com and you use code MeatEater at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MeatEater at LiquidIV.com. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater. Make sure you use code MeatEater to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus $20 off your first order. Uh, One last thing before we get back into our uh, esteemed guest. Brody's got a report.
6: How do you feel about hippies, Steve?
0: Dude, listen. <laughs> I like them. Define. We now, need definition, though. Well, the, well When did a yeah. hippie ever do anything bad to me?
6: I don't know. Never. Some people...
0: I like if I could pick it and have it be that most of the world was hippies. I'd be like, I don't. Fine.
6: They don't like to hunt, generally speaking.
0: Like, I, I like <laughs> when I wake up in the morning. Listen, when I wake up in the morning, the last thing I'm on the lookout for is hippies.
5: My right. buddy in grade school had a shirt that he'd wear all the time that said hippies Smell," and he was always very quick to point out that the shirt doesn't say how they
0: smell. Yep. Uh, my daughter, I don't know if you know this, but Gilligan's Island hats are in style for little kids, mm-hmm. little girls. Little bucket hat things, yeah. yeah. I call them Gilligan hats. Now I call my daughter Gilligan, which pisses her off. <laughs> <laughs> I called her Clyde. I used to call her Slim, and I called her Clyde. Now it's Gilligan. But uh, hers has a Ammonida muscaria, like the fly what agaric. What's well, a hallucinogenic? Oh, okay. yeah. And it's got that little hallucinogenic jungle frog on it. No way. <laughs> I was like, you know, Rosie, your hat's got twin hallucinogenics on it. She's does know what a hallucinogenic is. <laughs> Shut up, Dad.
3: <laughs>
0: That's interesting. Who got that for her? She bought it on Amazon. No way. Because what? Yeah, because she's like, I thought it was like a frog in a, it's like a Gilligan's Island hat, and she thought it was a frog and a mushroom. And I said, you know what that mushroom is, and you know what that frog are? And she's on Amazon.
4: I saw a t-shirt. It's like
0: an like a, like a $8 Gilligan's
3: Island hat. I saw a t-shirt with those mushrooms uh, on the really big ones on the <clears throat> covering the whole back. And it said, make America giggle again. Sure.
0: <laughs> getting, right, back,
6: getting back to the... I
3: like that.
0: Now, <laughs> this is when hippies come for you.
6: Well, yeah, I got the dog people. Now the hippies are going to come for me. Um, there's a pr- particular brand of hippie called the Rainbow Fam- Family of Living Light. They've been around since 1970. Um, I used to live in Boulder. We see these people all the time, panhandling. Um, And this group of people has what's called a rainbow. How did you know
3: that they were uh, from this group? Because they
6: have rainbow gatherings. Yeah, you you just know. Have you
3: ever lived in
0: a state that was having a rainbow
3: gathering going on? I know, but Brody just said I lived in Boulder and I'd see them all the time panhandling. No, there'd be Did they like have a banner? They be because like there's a residual
0: effect. They're there months before the gathering and then it takes a month to disperse. It's a huge deal when the rainbow gathering comes to town.
1: Yeah. Right. Were
4: yeah, you in Missoula?
6: Oh, the yeah. yeah. There's like a group that oh, was it's called it's the Rainbow the Children out. Out. in Boulder that oh. were like, it was like a known group of people. Anyway, they have this deal every year where they, they called a rainbow gathering. Where they get together on uh, public land, and it's generally thousands of people. Um, this year's gathering was planned for uh, Adams Park, which is north of Steamboat Springs, on the, the uh, Medicine Bow Route National Forest. Um, and they're thinking up to 10,000 people will, will gather. Not on just public. people. Rainbow people. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that sounds like um, a Care Bear countdown. <laughs> and uh,
6: th- there's been like an increasing concern about what kind of impact this is going to have on public land. Oh,
0: they when they did it near Missoula, man, it was a, like a biohazard. Yeah,
6: yeah. And this is like an area that's an important elk calving ground. Um, it's like very pristine public land. And so there's been calls to uh, kind of shut this thing down. And generally speaking, when you have like a an organized event on public land, you need a permit for it. and the, that That's never like, the Rainbow Gathering has never been a permitted, like sanctioned event. No. Yeah. Um, and the Forest Service took the step of closing California Park, which is near Adams Park, where the event is going to happen. I'm not sure why they didn't close Adams Park where the event is happening, but they did shut down an area near The gathering. And uh, there's already been some arrests, like people are already gathering there. The the event hasn't taken place yet. It will have happened by the time this this podcast airs. But there's already been arrests for various things. Um, Let's see here. I used to peel
0: logs with a dude named Barefoot, and he'd go to the Rainbow Gathering every year, and he carried around around uh, when he went there. Well, he always carried it around. He carried around a black powder pistol, revolver. Uh, it doesn't, and that was like his personal protection. It, does, it doesn't surprise Jeez. me. They've
6: already had arrests for uh, damage to natural resources, interoperable equipment, narcotics possession, disp- or distribution, aggravated assault on a peace officer, felony possession of a firearm. So it doesn't seem like... Very hippie ish to me.
0: Well, here's the deal, man. Here's what you know, why you know how dog people don't like you, even though you're a dog person, Mm -hmm. you won't get feedback because the hippies aren't touchy. I don't know, they're not touchy people. I'm expecting some feedback. Now, I, I, I did this thing with Clay on Clay's podcast, and we were talking about how beekeepers are touchy people because they all just got into it and they're all in a swing and dick contest to be who's most into it. And people who enthusiasts who grew up doing like nothing and then they start doing something become touchy, right? Hippies aren't touchy. You won't get feedback from hippies, but yeah, you they don't do anything like, in the first place. You got people so. who live their whole life not knowing about some souped up breed of bird dog, and also they're like Joe Bird Dog. <laughs> they're going to be touchy. So I say this thing about beekeepers, mm-hmm. and then one day I make the mistake of looking at social media comments. There's a comment from this guy like, "You don't stand up for hunters." you don't stand up for the Second Amendment, you don't stick up for hunters because you want them all to go away so you can have all the area for yourself. And I click on his thing. Beekeeper.
6: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Like, I, I think like they should be getting a permit for this. I mean, the amount of damage that 10,000 people can cause just by walking sure. through an area. The human oh, yeah. waste, the litter. I've seen what... 30 people
1: can do to my backyard in yeah. the past few days. Do you work for Bass Pro Shops? No. What is with the Bass Pro Shops hat? They send They sent these to the office.
0: Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude, Liz, I, t- believe, t- I thought t- he t- walked t- out t- to get married <laughs> he'd have that if, hat on. <laughs>
5: Seth <laughs> is wearing a Bass Pro Shop hat. Looks good on you. Like, <laughs> why don't
1: you ask Brody if he works for OnX? I don't. Um, <laughs> Well, in a roundabout way, okay, he does. Okay, if you don't know what the <laughs> Rainbow <laughs>
5: Gathering is and you want, like, an idea and this will touch some people in our sphere and, and piss a few folks off. If you've ever been in a town where there's a three or five day fish concert <laughs> that, that'll that give you a taste of folks <laughs> gathering pre-concert yeah. and taking days to get out and they have like a very, very noticeable
0: look to them. Well it takes those guys three to five days to do one tune. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just want to go on record before we leave this subject. I want to go on record saying this. I support hippies because I just don't see where the problem is. But I don't support the rainbow gathering on national, on public land.
6: Sure. I I think they should do it it like they did in the old
0: days. In the old days, they went to a guy's farm. Yeah. And outside of New York City. I think they should go back to that. I don't like public land rainbow gatherings. But like I said, man, when I wake up in the morning, the last thing I'm on the lookout for is a hippie doing something to me. I especially like the disenfranchised ones that don't vote.
6: I'm not worried about them doing something to me. Because they bitch, about that land they don't vote, they got no up.
0: sway.
1: It's like, I don't care.
6: They strike they're probably as, not
0: good for the
1: economy.
6: They strike me as people
1: that don't listen to podcasts, so they're probably not even going to know that you're saying
6: this. No,
0: they they, not, they, not this podcast. They hang so. out on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> listen, all right, we're ready to move on. All right. Seth Cantor, we're going to start out with, what are we going to start out with?
4: It's our... Uh... Alaskan sampler platter. Yeah. oh uh,
2: we're ready, man. Are you? Yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, I still I'm kind of uncomfortable with this hippie thing because my parents were accused <laughs> of being hippies. And, uh, Your
0: parents lived down the middle of the woods. Well, did
2: they uh, have ten thousand guests? Uh, not at all. I think they were trying to get away from people, but they were. I think they were hippies, and none of them. So those people that went north with them smoked or drank or, um, but they did. Uh, I guess. Not cut their hair as often as other people. I,
6: I, sh- I, I should. I should. Well, say I went on
2: record saying that I got no problem with hippies, so yeah, I'm cool with that. We're,
6: we're we're talking specifically the rainbow family of Living Light. What do you think, oh. Seth? Made him hippies?
0: Yeah. Why do you feel? Because your dad was a your dad was
2: came up north as a caribou biologist, right? Uh, no, he uh was uh, born and raised in Toledo and was trying to get away from uh, Toledo and and then uh, Catholic school and. So he uh, went to uh, 17 years old. Went to the territory, Alaska, and um, and uh, applied for college, um, and then studied uh, uh, zoology and biology. And then along came Project Chariot, where they were going to bomb, use nuclear weapons to bomb a harbor up in the northern part of Alaska. So he got a job studying caribou at that point. Or because they assistant. were like they were
0: trying to do baseline work on what that they were trying to do baseline work on what you should explain like once we get into our sampler here you should explain project chariot Um, i had like heard of that but until i read your book i didn't really understand the details of it
2: it's um you know right now i'm fighting the sampler road that they want to build through the brooks range from uh the pipeline road to you know basically where i live and so they want to uh, come all the way across. Yeah, and I equate that as dropping a bomb on the native culture and the way of life and the in the wilderness country there. Um, but in the fifties, uh, United States had all these nice new weapons, uh, and then nobody to drop them on uh, uh, hydrogen bombs and atomic bombs, and so they uh, started this uh, plowshares program, which was uh, hypothetically to do. Uh, peaceful work with nuclear weapons they build a canal and a new panama canal or and so they decided well alaska territory would be perfect place to uh let's make a harbor with five or six nuclear weapons and that was near where i grew up i wasn't born that then and and so my dad ended up going north from you know fairbanks where he was um, working as a biologist to up to the arctic to study the effects of. Um, uh, radiation on uh caribou other people were studying you know walruses and and uh native use of uh the land and food and resources mm-hmm. there and, and it was a, it was touch and go the um the this this uh, Alaska became a state in 1959 and so right in there was this uh, giant alleged economic uh, opportunity to you know get nuked um <laughs> and uh so there's a lot of people were for it and um, course, uh, the natives were, were not cause they were about to get the, you know, their backyard bombed. But for a while their, their voices were, were sort of, um, muted and, um, but anyway, it was stopped. Um, and, uh, that didn't happen. It certainly would have, my life would have been totally different if they bombed, uh, uh, Northwest Alaska to make it a, a better place have you ever seen images of the craters they made in Bikini atoll absolutely it's unbelievable yeah. man yeah.
0: it looks like the blue hole
2: and at, at that time that um, I'm gonna lose my uh, numbers here but the uh, the the radiation that was uh, there was so much fallout from the uh, Americans and uh, Soviets uh, testing weapons that that caribou were um, kind of radioactive because they eat lichens uh, the primary uh, f- you know, favorite food is this, this lichen that absorbs. Um, oh, I'm forgetting the cesium one I can't remember the <laughs> at this point. But anyway, one of these isotopes that um, would leach out of the atmosphere, lichen would absorb it, and caribou would eat it. And then, of course, our whole focus was uh, fat, so we would eat tons of caribou that are bio concentrating this um, this radiation and um, uh, the the and the- fat store that yeah and then if you have a bear um i'm if a bear eats the fat then and we're all excited about rendering out bear fat and making you know whatever we made with uh, bear fat so um um at in my young life uh, the uh the people that went north with my parents um they were tested and i guess they were you know, like you're describing earlier super high in uh, in radiation living out this uh Semi hippie, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> sure. This uh, wilderness, uh, strange white people living in the wilderness. Uh, uh, we never use the word wilderness. We we're scared of that word, but I'm using it now. But um, living out off the land and then, you know, uh, far higher than uh, somebody in Chicago, probably on, on the glow in the dark yeah step, like scale. seemingly
0: the most pure yeah. sort of like the most pure food most pure existence having what, what that, do you say you guys didn't like the word wilderness because you didn't like federally designated wilderness or um
2: what? up uh, in my life uh as things were changing fast uh pipeline was being built uh which uh, you know uh, made the native claim settlement act um was necessary so um the land up there would have uh, title ownership. Somebody mm-hmm. could say who owned what, so then we could start tearing it up. Um, and um, at that time, living out, we just thought of um, we were people on the land. We cut wood for firewood. We hunted, uh, you know, bears for skins and fat or whatever. And um, and we didn't. It wasn't wilderness. We were there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the and the natives uh, had no. This was home. They knew, you know, had a name for every slough and lake and, and sandbar where you caught this and that. And so it wasn't wilderness in our mind. And the only time we heard that word was when strange white people landed and started talking about what we were not allowed to do. Yep. Um, so wilderness was a dangerous word. Um, and uh, at some point, point, five or ten years ago, I was asked to talk about, uh, you know, uh, what the Wilderness Act meant to me. Of course, I'd never heard of it. Um, and um, I was there with um, four uh, tall white ladies, twice as tall as me, and um, and they were describing, you know, this uh, very interesting uh, effects of the Wilderness Act. I, if I remember correctly, one was from Chicago. I would grown up in uh, Colorado and et cetera. And, and then along comes my turn. I went last, you know, and I was like, oh, we were... I don't know. We were always scared when <laughs> we heard the word <laughs> wilderness. It was, uh, it was uh, you know, white people coming from somewhere else and, and um, terrifying us. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were um, my family. Um, speaking of hippies, um, <laughs> uh, sorry the, oh, they, that they did. Giving. You know, reading your book, man, I kind of got like a mild hippie vibe <laughs> off your parents, <laughs>
0: but I didn't get a total hippie vibe off your parents.
2: Well, um, because they but, were like hunters and trappers. Sure, but my dad has devoted his life to uh, avoiding a steady job. Does that count? No. Oh, okay. Um, no. That, uh, that
0: that they, Hippies do not, in my mind. We're talking about a very hard-to-define term here. Okay. <laughs> in my okay. mind, playing by your own rules is not owned by hippies. Okay, okay.
2: So, I don't know. I don't know any—I didn't know I, anything I, that okay, you guys I, are talking what about. Here's I'm talking about. I'm fishing, about. I'm i talking about people who
0: love anything you were saying. I'm talking about people who— um, First and foremost, when looking for an explanation to an unanswered question, if you told them there's a conspiracy that they're like, well, that's what
2: I believe before you finish the sentence <laughs> okay no that's, that's like, like a primary right. okay, attribute. So, I'm so I guess we weren't yeah we weren't hippies but uh it was um, that
6: time frame though right like, yeah
2: it definitely was I think the people that were doing um sort the, of that. they' back they're back, part of the back to the land yeah, but they're like the to,
0: extreme edge of the back to the land movement
2: yeah it was uh it was uh uh I mean barefoot kids and living in a cave I mean yeah so um I guess you I don't know what to call it. It was home, really nice. But he uh, was, but but your old man. Here's what I'm trying to. I, I just
0: like in, in understanding your biography. Like, I don't want to go back all the way to Toledo. But your old man became like your father, right? Became familiar with the area that he would homestead and claim through that through the Caribou
2: work, right? Or my mistake? Um, sort of, yeah. So he got done that. Uh, summer uh, working with uh, other biologists, and he had spotted this sod igloo on the coast, right next to the uh, ground zero where they were going to um, uh, bomb. Right, that you know, and uh, he got his stuff and went to live there for the winter. And when he got there, uh, typical of you know when you get home and you find a porcupine in your house or whatever, um, <laughs> there was. Um, uh, a native couple who had decided they were going to spend the winter there. And so my dad was uh, like, oh, well, you know, he's not going to um, invade, you know, their territory. It was an abandoned sod house. But they were like, uh, they couldn't really speak English. But they thought, yeah, the, uh, the old uh, uh, Inupak extreme generosity is important. And you're, you're about to spend the winter in a, a sod igloo as big as your average bathroom. And they said, you should stay. So hmm. along comes this white guy who's going to sleep on their f- floor for the winter, and and so he uh, spent the winter hunting for this couple. The man had you know one leg, and the woman was um, uh, not young, and and so um, here's this energetic young white guy that wants to learn the the uh, old ways, and and um, and was willing to go out every day to, to uh, hunt for the dogs, dog teams, and the and the people, and and so he got. Um, um, I think I would just say terribly enamored with the old Inupac way of life, just the the connection, the hunting every day, harsh uh, life, but um, uh, simplicity, I guess. And and so, um, you know, you went back to Fairbanks, and and more or less, you know, uh, got my mom, and they went north and built a sod igloo and started that life, um, which was, uh, you know, using caribou sinew for thread and. And sewing mukluks um, out of Ugric steel hide and caribou, and uh, just uh, the old ways. We just had dried fish for lunch, and and seal oil, and and uh, uh, whipped caribou fat, and I, I could go on and on. Um, that was the life. Uh, you
0: guys, when you were a kid, you guys traveled by dog team, didn't you? Mm-hmm, yeah. But was that was that like a. Was that sort of like a, a like a conscious decision to do
2: something in old way? Because you were sort of like your age would have been where dog teams were definitely on the way out. Right? Uh, absolutely, I was born in nineteen sixty five, and it was like uh, dead nuts on uh, the arrival of snowmobiles. And yeah. and pretty quick into that, my dad got rid of his uh, his dogs, and and I, I think it was bothering him shooting uh, you know hundred caribou a fall for for dog food. Um, Is that what it would take? Uh, well, that was people food and dog food, but, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, and they didn't have, they didn't have much when they arrived, so they didn't have fish nets webbing, you know, to, to catch oh, fish. So they were and,
1: very reliant on caribou
2: Yeah, and, and, and everybody was, uh, uh, I shouldn't say everybody, you know, the villagers were way ahead of my family as far as catching fish. Pr- pretty quickly we got, um. Uh, fishnets. And then my dad got a snowmobile, uh, uh, archaic bolens with the track in the front and a seat that dragged behind on wooden skis. And it was a terrifying uh, machine. But, um, and then I think we didn't have a dogs again until maybe I was eight. I wanted to have dogs. And so uh, I got dogs and built my own sled and started using uh, a super small dog team for uh, uh trapping and, uh, we didn't have neighbors. So, uh, you know, my dogs were kind of my friends. I mean, they weren't allowed in the house or anything, but, um, um, hunting and every day and trapping and, and all that was, you know, what I did. We, uh, was kind of substitute for going to see your neighbors or whatever.
6: <laughs> you said, so you didn't have neighbors. Um, how did your parents like, learn all those skills were were they learning from locals or trial and error or um
2: like i gotta get back to the hippie thing for a minute so (laughs) um um, during about the time i was four uh, a bunch uh, i think there was as many as uh, maybe 15 or so people living in little sod igloos around us so we did have a brief time of neighbors um, these are what we call, it's called what, the hippie commune. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These are what we at home call white people. Um, and so outsiders, Did you refer to yourselves as white people. Um, yes. Um, but it's a weird mix because when I'm out on the country, even now with my, uh, friends, um, if you lift up your binoculars and you're like, Hey, you look like white people, um, <laughs> that's how I grew up so it's weird to be standing with your Inupac friends and they're like hey how come there's white people over there and and there's me and um so I kind of um <laughs> um I don't know I, I guess as Sarah Palin would say I shuck and jive um that uh, <laughs> I don't know um where that fits in but uh m- my myself where I fit in it's it's hard to uh, to I mean, I feel white outsiderish a lot. And then other times I'm like, Hey, I don't, you know, I get uncomfortable when I see, uh, this, uh, outsiders, but I really want to explain that it's, um, it's just sort of a sloppy term, like so many other things. Sure. And, and part of that, you're talking about hippies. It's a, it's a loose, uh, you can accuse somebody of something and not really be careful with it. And, and so, um, there's a lot of comedy involved in the village. Some, um, um, uh, black guy showed up, a school teacher and, and the, um, the kids were calling him a honky. Um, and, uh, and it was just, they didn't know. Um, and so they just uh, knew that was a term. That yeah. Meant well, I w- I've been called that a ton of times, you know, and for, you know, everything you get called everything, but, um, um, I guess that if a person, let's just say, an Asian person showed up, they'd be referred to as white people, which is just an euphemism, oh, yeah, Eufe- yeah, yeah. A, a broad, a broad uh, euphemism for outsider. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, yeah. so yeah. it's almost become uh, a joke in a way. It's so, a sloppy uh, term, but anyway. So I grew up um, kind of a, a weird mix of that, where. Um, If, you know, if somebody looks at you a mile away through the binoculars, you know, you're one thing and then you walk over, oh, you know, you're um, you're into the, you're a local, you know, didn't recognize you. Um, That was a long-winded explanation of the tip of the iceberg as far as race relations (laughs) at home. But um, yeah, anyway, so my parents went north, uh, I think part of that back to the land movement, but... At that time were were so focused on it that um, uh, it was almost like in the villages the Inupac population was looking forward at uh, modernity, blue jeans and plywood and and whatever else and my family was, you know, actively looking back and and saying, Oh yeah, we'll stick with kerosene lamps or or um. were you guys regarded by
0: native alaskans as like did they sort of like recognize the movement your family was part of was there enough of that going on that they're like oh there's these white people showing up on the landscape trying to sort of like act like how we lived 25 years ago
2: yeah things are complicated i want to catch you for a second because uh uh, you said something about your family went there and claimed uh, uh homestead and all that my parents didn't claim the land because they wanted to be like natives. Mm-hmm. The natives didn't have ownership of land. Um, and so my parents actively didn't claim the land, which was a huge mistake. Like they didn't do the Homestead Act no, stuff, yeah. And then very quickly, that that ended. Um, and, uh, and then they found out their mistake because we were on the BLM burn list and mm-hmm. they were gonna come, if they could get our sod igloo to burn, which is doubtful, because it was sort of damp. But um, they were burning people's cabins out at that time, and, um, these hippie squatters. <laughs> um, so I've never uh, owned the land. Um, and, and, and now I'm, I think I'm the last person in uh, Alaska who has a, um, a National Park Service permit to reside where I was born and raised, which is some rider that I think Senator Ted Stevens put into ANILCA, the, the mm-hmm. Native Claims Settlement Act. Um, so your daughter will lose yes, that spot? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. Which is, is not. Doesn't your mean, daughter will lose that home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is home to her too. And, and um, then, you really? know, to get back to. I really. I So if you die, they destroy it. Uh, yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. I think I'm supposed to, when I'm about 90, I'm supposed to destroy it before I die. Yeah. Uh, it's your last, you ever, your last for it's really your last
0: act hey huh? make sure before you die <laughs> yeah.
2: well that's why I'm always picking up my, my trash otherwise I'd just leave it on the ground yeah, no, like, it's no, just no, gonna no, be I'm all the more day. work <laughs> when I'm dying
0: you
4: know
2: no
0: kidding really I didn't realize that you guys didn't do I just I, I don't know why I assumed that they did the homestead act because then I I noticed that like you still hang out there and your daughter hangs out there
2: yeah I just uh, you know I just spent uh, a up there but you know not very long before for, before coming here, you know, never saw a person the whole time. And it's and in a lot of ways, it's like the, um, you know, it hasn't changed that much, you know, my companions are you know, caribou and bears walking around, et cetera. But um, then in other ways, there's a lot of, you know, um, land claims and permits and rules. It, Alaska, you probably know this, but it's real weird that way. Um, up there in the Arctic, uh, there's a ton of rules written on paper about the that land but the paper is far away somewhere else and we don't know anything about it yeah. We just kind of do what we used to do that did, tees up a question oh sorry bro go oh
6: i was just going to ask did, did your family when you were younger did they have like interactions or run-ins with federal officials like trying to get you to
2: yeah that move? was some yeah the the BLM uh first but then more of that was the the precursor to the national park service was, was showing up and pretty terrifying, you know, a uh, plane land on the ice and you know, these big white guys walk up the hill and start telling us, um, that basically we were, you know, mate might have to move. And, uh, that's what I grew up with. Uh, lots of, uh, like fear of the park service. Yeah. Yeah. Ter- fear of, yeah, lots of things, but um, but I would say that the natives had that too. I mean, they did. Is that um, you, you've got thousands of years living on the land here, and then and then a plane comes and they say what you can't and can't do, and it just all sounds very confusing until the plane flies away, and then it's not confusing anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's like, We'll just forget that. Happened. <laughs> what up? Uh, okay, when you mentioned when you when you when you were young. And you guys were living off caribou and you had a dog team. Uh, Was there a regulatory structure in place at all? Like if a family's going through a hundred caribou, I mean, you're not out putting metal locking tags on the things. Like, Was there any sort of
2: regulatory structure in place that you were aware of in those days? Okay, so me, I was a little kid, you know, just chewing on a bone or something. So I wasn't aware. Um, My dad may or may not have gotten a hunting license i assume he would try but i don't know how you'd go about it because juno is you know about as close as miami Um, local people certainly didn't get hunting licenses and it was um just such a weird idea that you'd have to get a license to hunt i'm trying to come up with an analogy but Um, no, I understand the analogy. What I'm,
0: I'm asking like a very bind. I'm asking like a very, like, I'm not talking about perception of
2: Alaska. have some, I'm saying, uh, had I gone, had
0: I gone to Juneau? Okay. And I had said, and I had said, I'm living where you, let's say you had gone, your dad had gone to Juneau. I'm saying what was, whether it was regarded or not regarded. And I'm not like saying that it should have been, or I can't answer
2: that real easy. I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, I, I think, um, Yes, there was uh, game management units already set up, I think, and and if you went down to the forty mile herd or something, there was probably uh, bag limits and and like every, more accessible. Uh, caribou yeah, and limits, everybody yeah. was supposed to get a uh, a hunting license, and I think as a so called outsider or whatever, if you had flown to the Northwest Arctic, you probably would have had a limit of such and such amount of caribou. Locally, I don't think there was limits. I think you could you could shoot cows, calves, bulls as many as you wanted. Yep. Um, and and then when in the seventies when they had a, a photo census where they fly over and the caribou aggregate in the middle of July where there's um, at times you know a hundred thousand or more in a in a tight mass, they would take pictures of those. You count the caribou in the picture. That's um, a short version of the photo census. And, um, in the seventies, they came up with this very, very low number of, uh, uh I'm going to say 75,000 caribou for the Western Arctic herd. And they promptly cut us from unlimited to one per hunter per year. No, really? Uh, yeah. Which was, uh, in my book, I use this, uh, analogy of, uh, like you'd be allowed one blueberry. Um, so you've, uh, you, you know, you've always picked blueberries and then suddenly you're only allowed one, um and um and people were you know terrified and confused and um and then we that at that point we were ish we not me as a kid but my dad was issued this little locking silver thing which was very uh fancy nice piece of metal with some numbers on it but people didn't always click that thing together because yeah. you needed to carry it when you got your next caribou <laughs> sure yeah 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 I got it. um and um yeah, I think this. I think yeah, there's lots of different ways of seeing, seeing things, but I, I suspect the the state of Alaska missed some caribou in their photo census, and I also s- suspect that at that time, with the introduction of um, you know more. Uh, uh, mini 14s and, and and not too long after that AR 15s with the uh, rapid shooting uh, small caliber bullets and then uh, snowmobiles had just arrived which was changed you know our, our relationship in, uh, immensely with the uh, With the natural uh, world, Uh, I suspect- Like you you didn't need to wait for caribou to come to you. Uh, There was a feasible way to go after Yeah, yeah. And go further and faster. And so I suspect there was two things going on there was that the caribou were dropping in numbers and the state might have missed some, but it was a good time to wake up and say, okay, maybe we need to um, not just shoot every caribou we feel like at all times all seasons you know yeah so it was just um a little rough the way it went about
0: now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill i had that when i was a little kid and it was a big deal to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. You fish commercially now. Yep. Does, what is the fishing? You described when, you're, when, you, when your family was living out on the land, you described a need to get, like, like learning
2: how to get nets and fish. What was that fishing? And then what is the fishing you do now? professionally. Oh, oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So um, um, I say, you know, when we get done commercial fishing, we go back up river and immediately set all our nets for for, uh, non-commercial. But um, my dad and um, mom, I guess, fished out of Kotzebue in the late 50s, I think it was, or or 1960, right around then. And there was a a cannery. um, I think you got uh, 35 cents of fish and they made a hundred dollars for the season or something. And so people kind of discovered fishing was, um, uh, it was real hard to get cash then. It was either. Oh, tra- you're talking like netting and white fish or netting salmon? Salmon. Okay. And so they, they didn't fish for another 12 years in that fishery. Went up, you know, we lived up the river, up the Kobuk River, which is like uh, 150 river miles from, from Kotzebue, where the fishery is. So they never fished again until, I think, 1974. My dad built a plywood boat, and we went down and, and lived in a tent and fished uh, 1974. And and uh, they grossed like $4,000 or something, which we had never heard of that much money before. Um, he, built the, he built the boat up? Uh, you in, yeah, yeah, in Ambler or near the village of Ambler, and and uh, ordered marine plywood and et cetera, and and then and then took the boat down river, down the river. Yeah, it's uh, maybe two hundred miles down the river and across Cobuck uh, Lake. And then you guys cuts, camped on the we beach. We camped ten miles across from Cotsview at a fish camp, and and back then, if you wanted green American cash, there weren't too many ways of getting it, and commercial fishing was one. Fishing was becoming. Uh, the price was great then. It was like 50 cents a pound for salmon, which is, it's not even, that's about where we're at today. And, and you guys using like drift gill nets? Or? Uh, set nets. Okay. Uh, hang your own nets and uh, and set, we were allowed 900 feet of it. And you guys were sitting here talking about fishing earlier and I didn't understand a gosh darn thing you were saying nothing um, but my idea of sport fishing is to set six or 900 feet of um, yeah, yeah. I'm joking about the sport but I love commercial fishing It's super exciting and, and especially when the fish mm-hmm. are hitting but 900
5: yeah. feet of setting that effective.
6: Um, yeah. So when your, get... when your parents were commercial fishing, were they doing it themselves or working for... No,
2: okay. So I didn't answer either one of your questions, but so we would, we started doing that as a, as a way to, uh, would trap in the winter. My dad would make, uh, dog sleds or, or, um, uh, sleds that people towed behind their snowmobiles, sort of like a dog sled for cash. And then in the summer we'd go down and commercial fish for, for cash. And it was all pretty feeble, but would end up with you know some actual money um but they're and, running their own operations yeah everybody's doing their own thing small super small boats and then uh come late august we would put the dogs and the family and the tents and head up river and my dad's boat was like 24 feet long 35 horse three days of holding the tiller to get home and then unload the dogs and then we would spend the next uh 11 and mo- or ten and a half months at our sod house pretty much staying home because he he didn't want to you know buy gas and and travel we would go to ambler the closest village 25 miles away but we would go oh once or twice a winter, and you know once or twice by boat and and so there at home uh back to your original question as soon as we got home we put nets out and started once again, gathering fish. And, and that's late summer. Yeah. And then at that point, caribou would be crossing. So we would get a couple, uh, to eat and dry and whatever. you just, oh, if there's caribou, well, we need food, but we would kind of hold off on the, uh, winter supply of caribou until, uh, late September when it's cold enough, cause we didn't have electricity, so we didn't have freezers. So everything had to line up with the season mm-hmm. and every, even every season involved, uh, hunting different things when they're fat, when they taste good, when the fur is good, and then when you can keep it. And there's just really no use in boating home on August 27th and shooting a bunch of caribou because their flies were out and it was too warm. Yeah. And What was the you guys do at home? You do whitefish or salmon or what? Uh, Along the river there is grayling, uh, trout, uh, trout which would be Arctic char, salmon, uh, she fish, uh, pike, uh, mud shark which is a burbot, uh, like a. You guys call those mud sharks. Well,
5: that's
2: we, a great name! Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I, I got
0: uh, it's a very confusing. It's a fish, fish of a million names, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I didn't yeah, know yeah. about that name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great well, one.
2: at home we call them Tiktaalik, which is oh really? That's the Innu word, and so that's kind of um, what's the Innu word? Tiktalic. You can find it in my book, and so I have so, a hobby of uh, I collect burbot names. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I, they're such a great fish. I love hooking them. We hook them through the ice in October, November at night, lay on a caribou hide and. Look slowly freeze ass as no. you're um, <laughs> When I when I told someone my, my I have a brother that uh I have a brother that lives in
0: Anchorage, when I told him that uh you were coming to do a show and he said if you can get he told me if you can get one thing out of this, you need to get out of this an invitation to fish she fish through the ice.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. He was, like, a- he
0: was like strongly encouraging me to lean oh. on, to lean on you for that opportunity. <laughs>
4: He just did that, like, before he came uh, here.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just set a net to bring her a fish. I guess uh, maybe I should have brought you in, but I assumed you had already... Uh, he, no, uh, he wants you. He wants me to make you take me rotting and reeling for
0: she-fish through the ice.
2: Oh, uh, well, we just use a stick with a line. Yeah, but yeah. what, okay, 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 yeah. But the yeah.
0: open-water
5: she-fish st- is, like... He fishes those. I mean, watching them jump and stuff, right? right? Like,
0: but he thinks that the the, the epitome...
5: Yeah,
6: she they're, they're not in it for the Is sport. The, the
0: epitome of she fishing, uh, and he likes she fish. All right, but the epitome of she fishing would be to she fish through the ice.
2: I do. You agree? I, I, I guess I kind of agree. I, I have a hard time with the hook and line thing that you cast and tangles up, and then <laughs> no, 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 man, just drop it down. to Yeah, the... I, I know. Hold on a second. Somebody takes your hook or hooks on a willow. I just, it's all. I was listening to you guys and I know it's fun. We used to do it, but I, am not good at it, but hooking through the ice, uh, to me makes more sense. Um, cause you got a stronger line and yeah. you got, you got to make sure the hole's big enough. Otherwise you can't get it. The she fish are big. Yeah. They get yeah.
6: up to what? Like 60 pounds or bigger, I, I, maybe. I don't, I
2: don't know. know. I don't weigh things or stuff like that, but they're big. Yeah. I mean, I'll show you a picture here afterwards, but. Yeah, how big. many feet long is a big she fish? Probably four.
4: Oh, wow. Yeah. Out of
6: a, at all it's those different. like a different... souped up whitefish, man. They're yeah. of, I, a whitefish family, I, I think, think. I think yeah. so, yeah. At all so. those different fish that your family would catch in late summer, like, what was your favorite? What,
2: we really was... liked what we called trout. arctic um, char. And, and it's arctic char. At that time, we didn't know that. And we called them either a mean trout or a nice trout. Um, <laughs> and the mean trout is when it spawned out and it's kind of uh, bright, Right, real bright, bright and, yeah. and long yeah. and skinny, and of course back to fat, which is very important. If it wasn't fat, it was you know dog food. Um, and so the mean trout were skinny, and we thought they were different trout, and it turned out they're not. They're just uh, they go for, uh, um, eighteen months without eating and and spawning oh, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and trout are or Arctic char, amazing fish. Not eighteen months without eating, but like I think it pretty much is, but you'd oh. have to check with the mean, experts. once they run? Um, well. We're going to lose track of this whole show if you start talking about. <laughs> <Okay>. our- <laughs> All right, well, let, let's leave the on the table. I do got a question for you.
0: The fish, the varieties of fish you would net in August,
2: you were able to dry those fish. Yeah, we start trying to dry them. It was hard because we were not yet people of the blue tarp, um which is really Smoke important. Smokehouses, right? Yeah, yeah, we always had fish racks, but. But trying to cover them and what to cover them with. But
3: well, is that because the blue tarp wasn't around yet? Yeah, or, it wasn't oh, around yet. Oh, Everything
2: it. was pretty. It's it's shocking to think about how different it is with all this the shit we have nowadays. They're sure. Just like plastic bags. Well, where are you going to get those uh, fifty years ago? And and well, that brings
3: uh, me to a question too about and sorry to regress a little bit, but about your dad deciding at some point he decided to try to make some American cash.
2: Yeah, so right. he was that like a
3: dilemma for him?
2: No, I he thought. he was he didn't have he he wasn't a hippie in the sense that he didn't want cash. He just didn't want a job. <laughs> I see. Um, and to him, a job separates you from life. He wanted to live and be out on the land and stuff. And so, if uh, you know, when lynx became very valuable, we trapped lynx. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he didn't like bothering the wolves much, which was a, a personal thing, maybe because they were hunting much like he was. You know walking a lot and out on the land every day but um we trapped wolverine and and uh when foxes when they first got their foxes were worth nothing and then as an eight-year-old i trapped some foxes and sent them to uh gosh was it called goldbergs i'm trying to remember now but anyway one of the fur buyers and i got like 60 90 bucks a piece and my whole family took notice. <laughs> and We trapped foxes for the next... Because uh, you guys
6: needed money to buy gas or tools or we, whatever. It wasn't the crazy to put thing, it in the bank.
2: Yeah, here. yeah. The crazy thing was we... Um, I mean, we made our own dog collars and harnesses and sleds and tow lines. And we, would, anything that was what we called store-bought was very suspicious. And the family had to have a big discussion about whether you're going to spend any money, which was the final answer was no. So you might as well not have the <laughs> discussion, but, but they did order, um, um, they did order stuff. It was real, uh, long process to, you know, basically get to the village, take an envelope and mail it to, but it's, you probably, I mean, you, probably you guys probably bought a stove, cookware, white uh, gas, right? Yeah, white gas for sure, kerosene, yeah. um, and you know, coffee and sugar and flour. And then as the years went by, and we started commercial fishing and had money, uh, you know, they'd order potatoes from Palmer, Alaska, and mm. we we planted garden so we'd grow that like, potatoes also. But then uh, vanilla for you know making snow ice cream and powdered milk, and we just more and more stuff, but but nothing like just walking in the store and filling your uh, shopping cart. My uh, parents were pretty much like, um, don't waste was, well, they were, you know, they were depression era people. They, they they grew up in uh, my dad, you know, at the end of the uh, depression and, and World War II. Um, and so there was already that pretty strong don't waste. And then you go far enough north and trying to get a a, a, a pound of butter was a complex experience. And so as kids, what you... If your hippie's indoctrinating your kids out in the wilderness, so-called wilderness, you can um, tell them, oh, don't use that, don't use that, and don't cut string. And no, you're not allowed to use any nails. But if you find a bent one, we'll discuss whether you're allowed to have it. Um, (laughs) 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 um, So, um, yeah, it was a lot of, everything was sort of in this don't waste. But you you certainly were, uh, caribou hides, that wasn't in the, uh, you can use those for whatever you want.
6: That was your blue tart? Yeah,
2: that was, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. So anything you want to do with the caribou hide was pretty much free open season. Yeah.
6: In your book, I'm surprised
0: by the amount of, um, this is going to segue into you giving us some of that food you got there, but the amount of boiled meat you guys eat just I, boiled joints and boiled feet and boiled well, like a lot of boiled meat. Not a lot of deep frying.
2: No going on. Yeah, in the Arctic. No, yeah, it was a lot of. And uh, you know, the local thing is like caribou soup is, is just as standard as is. You catch a trout at home and you give it to an elder. They're going to make soup out of it with the skin on and all the bones and stuff. And and uh, certain people are like, "Oh, that's not what I would have done with that fish." But um, but, um, yeah, maybe that was a certain amount of ease or you got the wood stove going anyway. Well, like or... you talk about the way so, because, like, you guys describe taking sort of, like,
0: caribou pelvises. Oh. Heck. And just and put that pelvis in a pot
2: and boil it so you could. Oh, I'm getting ready to insult white people. I can't believe at home, if you leave the bones. Well, let's just back up here. At home, <laughs> we look at the rear end of the animal, uh, caribou, to see if it's fat. And we kind of joke that the the white guy or the outsiders are looking at the antlers oh yeah well man. we're not looking at the antlers <laughs> we're lo- it's got to be fat and then um the fat is you know maybe back fat or or stomach fat or or whatever a, a chork, you know the the lacy uh, fat around the um the intestines but um the bones are where the the flavor and the fat is and so there's just so many stories of um you know, some old uh, Inupac, uh elderly woman just uh, disgusted with her um, daughter bringing home a white boyfriend and he goes out hunting and brings home the antlers and they're just like, you know, what's wrong with this guy? And then, um, and then the other sort of uh, standard story is um, this outsider handing uh, uh, elders or, or somebody respected handing them a chunk of meat without a bone. You know how come that guy's so stingy? Um, uh, yeah,
0: like yeah, yeah when we yeah. think about that. You're gonna bring someone something nice. You're gonna bring them a backstrap, yeah, all oh, trimmed yeah. up, oh, right? You just
2: try to keep. You're the, not gonna bring them like the yeah. moose, the moose's knee, which yeah. is what you guys oh, are, yeah, at, yeah, yeah. which is what you guys are after. So, but seriously, I mean, now I cook a lot with a not soup but a Dutch oven with uh, you know put some oil in it and sear the 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 knee <laughs> uh, <laughs> real, and, uh, real quick is your fuel
3: mostly wood to make heat and to not anymore to
2: cook? no I mean propane's an amazing thing I um, see nowadays everything has changed you know i i I have a a place in Cosby with electricity so I have freezers there so when I come down from upriver uh where I don't have any of that, I'll bring meat and store it in a freezer. And storing meat in a freezer, I don't know if you guys know about this, is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little familiarity. <laughs> we, we, I, I want to talk to a, a guy
0: that, he uh, uh, he's, he's actually a friend of mine, and, and for his graduate work, he was doing, um, he was doing sort of this 100-year survey of, of hunting magazines. And, one of the things that he really took note of is just the, the way the conversation changed when freezers became a thing. Yeah. I mean, it just changed... It changed everything about people's perspectives on deer hunting. Um, once every Joe Blow on the planet had a freezer in his house. Because, like, the whole, like, fill in the freezer, that's like a new... Like, relatively speaking, that's a new concept, right? It'd be that you got a deer and you had to figure out what
2: you're going to do with that deer right now. Absolutely. And it, I I really value living seasonally so i'm going to go home and start commercial fishing which means that i bring home a seal bit salmon that i can't sell you know seals are working them and so i eat salmon like all summer but come august end of august people are like oh how many salmon do you put in your freezer i'm like one <laughs> 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 and even then i sort of begrudge it cuz it's not going to be fresh and uh and i'm kind of sick of salmon by then anyway and then heading up river hoping to you know start eating caribou and then um, and whatever else, and uh, and I like that seasonal connection to your food, and and so a freezer um, is handy to to save food and not waste. Hypothetically, um, but I kind of like just eating what's in season. Um, yeah, and um, well, a lot of hung- hunters and anglers
0: use their freezer as a prolonged wasting machine.
2: Oh <laughs> yeah, fuck! I'm so glad
6: to hear you say that. They're like it's <laughs> like it's a
0: way that you can get something and then. Put off the waste the for two years. Out of sight, out of mind. And then oh.
6: when it's five years old, you're like, oh, I can throw it out now. Yeah,
2: you like ah, freezer burn. <laughs> oh,
6: I'm so glad Holy to hear shit, you say man. that. And you know that
2: bugs me uh, most about uh, you know many things, but at home there's it's this uh, conveyor belt to wasting because um, <laughs> then you uh, especially something like she fish, which you mentioned, people love to go out and hook them through the ice really close to town, and they're, what do you do if you get a sled load of fish? you know, and you can leave some, I'm joking, but I actually wrote a proposal to make it illegal to leave them on the ice when you, you know, you head home. Um, Is that a thing? Oh, absolutely. Um, but, uh, and the state passed that proposal, so now it's illegal to, to leave your, you know, spare fish there, but, but people bring them home and they put them in the freezer. So many, you know, because you can catch a lot of big fish and and so I'm um, I'm thrilled to hear you um mention the that the freezer is is a uh, you know a wasting device it's it's, it's oh it's yeah. one of
0: it's one of hunting and fishing's uh, many dark secrets <laughs> yeah. <here. laughs> yeah is the like the, the old like I'll put it in my freezer then later I'll throw it out yeah and, and I won't feel, I, for some
2: weird reason I won't feel bad about it in 2 years <laughs> The same goes, you know, if you get 60 geese and don't get around to plucking them and stick them in the freezer you pull out. I, I've never done that because I'm very fanatical, but I see people pulling out geese that are not plucked and not gutted and in the freezer. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, uh, that's, that's, a, that's an extreme there. Scary. Okay, what do you got in front of you, man? We gotta, I, I, I got to know. Oh, uh, so I, um, I don't know if you're, I don't want to scare any of your listeners, but so that's uh, fermented whale bowhead meat. This fermented. Is, this is fresh uh, muktuk, which is bowhead the skin and blubber. Uh, I don't know how scary you want to get. Do we need some? No, uh, I've, like, I've I like, like to I've had this and like it, but we I haven't ain't scared. Had that. This is uh, walrus, kind of the same idea. The skin. This has still got the the hair on it, which looks like unshaven uh, one of your neighbors. Um, but um, but the same idea as muktuk. It's the skin with a layer of blubber. Uh, what else do I got here? Oh, this is for Corinne. This is her share. Of the catch. You you touched on uh, this earlier. Wh- which early. one is walrus? Um this, this right that. here is is uh Oh yeah, that's got well, the hair on it.
6: You touched it on this earlier, Seth, but like the the walrus and the whale is this stuff that was was given to you or were you yeah. 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 Cuz so they have
0: so this right here is uh this is
2: just salted or raw or what? It feels it, it, firm. It, that's cooked. This yeah. is cooked walrus. This is raw. Uh, this is raw. Damn it! Um, so this is uh, dried. This is cooked walrus. This is dried caribou. So at home, my um, uh, kind of standard lunch would be um, dried caribou and um, either seal dipped in seal oil or more likely uh, 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 bowhead muktuk, which is raw. Uh, very often the beluga muktuk. Smaller whale, same idea is cooked, but but the the wall. You guys cook the walrus, um, the skin. Yeah,
4: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it's got some blubber and skin. Uh, I my experience with trying to cut walrus skin is you wouldn't get too far if you didn't cook that. What do you mean? Kind of bulletproof.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, so but you guys eat the hair like I just did, right? Well, I don't know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I always did, sl-
2: but I gotta tell you, the old uh, Wow. Um, yeah, I need to try dude, the com- I have never I had anything like, like that I need to try the combo. Holy Holy shit. Shit. combo. Yeah, yeah you you you're gonna you're gonna like this. It's um very fresh and simple. Wow. Try the um So you're eating the, the, the caribou, caribou d- with the fat? Yeah. It's super good. Yeah. Hmm. This other stuff.
3: I mean, give me a photo.
2: That well, walrus, not
0: afraid, he's doubling uh, down. Dude, that walrus meat is something, man. There's nothing like that on the planet.
6: Right? <laughs> Holy cow. And this is Bowhead? Yeah, that's Bowhead,
0: yeah. I don't want to say I like it. I don't want to <laughs> say I don't like it. I'm saying there is nothing like that. So,
2: uh, Steve, the first time I had... Um,
0: it's like if a deer was made out of fish. <laughs> the,
2: the first time deer? I had uh, uh, this mm-hmm. walrus was... Um, we were camped at fish camp. One floated in, so the, the hunters go out and, and, and shoot shoot them, and uh, I, I hate to say this, but a certain amount of time to get the tusks, but, yep. um, but if they sink they stay down for a while and then the the gases form in the stomach, they float up and then they, then they're floating in the ocean. They come ashore. Um, so one came ashore, seagulls are on top pooping on it and everything. And it's all sunburnt and rotten on top Well, underneath the cold water kept it fresh. And the, you know, the, the natives knew that. So they towed it ashore and somebody claimed the tusk. I don't remember that part, but so they cut that, um, it's called Coke. The, that's what the the local word, Coke. You've probably had many a Coke in your life. Um, but that's what they call this skin part. Mm-hmm. of the, So they cut that off, that um, floating, dead, uh, corpulent mm-hmm. walrus, and, and and got a third of a drum, you know, 55-gallon drum, to cook uh, boiling water over a campfire and then cook that. <clears throat> well, my brother and I were bo- uh, barefoot kids you know, in the fish camp there. We walked down and... They said you want to try some, and we thought it was the best thing ever. What you just uh, yeah had, Fill um, wow. I'm not convinced that this is as fresh as that was. Um, that's fermented whale meat. You want to get into that? No. I want to try the non-fermented whale. Meat. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> no, I, I do want to try it, okay, but I okay. want to cleanse my palate.
0: I <laughs> think <laughs> with the <laughs> whale with the fresh whale meat.
5: Yeah, let's let's recap on on the bowhead, right? Which is what you're going about to have, Brody. What what are your thoughts
6: on? I, I mean, it just tastes like fat. Really. So this I is fat when you chunk of like his like skin fat. on yeah. it. It's it's just, yeah, it's pretty neutral. Yeah, neutral. So
2: um, that demarcation between the black skin and the where the blubber starts there's a tough layer, and oh, that's good. You can tell how cool you are when you're given um, a muktuk. If you are given, if it's really tough that layer, you're you are given a, a section of the whale that's not as desirable. Um, and often when i'm back up again say again i'm sort of joking but um i i joke that if if you're not if you're not cool you get the tougher uh uh portion of the whale you know what would go real good with this salt
3: yeah little tea that's why that's i well some that's that's salt (laughs) me one up man that is really so that's why you eat it with the caribou uh, steve the dried caribou because oh. it's salty. I can yeah, tell you seriously, what. Uh, I'm not a walrus man,
0: but I'm a bowhead man for sure. I got so. good. I,
5: maybe guys, I have like some delayed effects from hmm. my last round of COVID, but I'm not opposed to the walrus at all. Do you guys Never, ever, uh, Yeah, it's great. Dude, I
2: need that whale meat all day render, long. Do, do you, you ever render
6: neutral. that fat into an oil? Absolutely. Or, yeah? Yeah. 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 Damn. Um, I like that. Bowhead. So the layer of the is super thick. Yeah. <laughs> and so people
2: render a lot of. Of uh, seal oil and and store it in uh, buckets and jars and we used to always use wooden barrels which I think is to healthy. store your seal oil yeah I think it's healthier actually than buckets. Um, just for that, sheer... Can I
0: try a piece here? Your... I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. But to be honest with you, man, I'm a little bit chicken shit about the fermented whale
2: meat. Okay. But what's this? Oh no, no, you don't want that. You already had it. Um, so so did now, you now that... the raw whale meat is phenomenal. Yeah, do you yeah you I have... want to try that. I'm calling it meat, but it's fat and skin. So this is. Um, I didn't oh, think I this was the way it was supposed go. to be. I wasn't as excited. This is still frozen. Through. Is it okay mm-hmm. to put that on the cutting board? Oh yeah, that's oh, fermented whale meat. No, this is uh, is uh, yeah beluga. Uh, basically skin. Okay. Um, I don't know. I I think it's not cooked. I usually you don't cook. like it or do you like it? I didn't. Well, here's a section. This is the flipper, so you can see the right. out of the outside and then super sinewy section. I like it better than walrus, but I don't like it as much as bowhead. I love bowhead. I wonder if you just got like oh, a man. slightly
5: tainted chunk of walrus because I think it's pretty good. I tell think, you
0: what, man, I wouldn't let a bowhead get by me.
2: <laughs> Seth, what, what
3: size portion? When you said you eat that this for lunch, beluga. Seth.
2: Sadly enough, I wolf down uh, a lot of fat, and I'm I fight to not be a, a skinny white boy. I just don't seem to put on weight. But um, yeah, I eat a lot of a lot of fat all year round. And um, when my daughter was young, and and her mom would go to work, uh, she was like three years old, and she'd sit and have lunch with me, and I would catch her dipping whale blubber in bear fat and. I was like, "You're supposed to have some dried meat with that, not just fat dipped in fat." <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, where um, oh, what's that there?
2: I wanted you to try what's that the dried caribou. Did you? I haven't had that. I want oh. the dried no, you caribou. eat it with
5: this? This is how. It just, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what: a little rock salt on
0: there. And... So
2: dried caribou and, and the that's the, that's how and I, this I, is the bowhead skin and this that's how thick his
0: skin is. Or is that uh, cut
2: down? Nope, that's how thick the skin is, but the blubber would be like a, you know, way thicker than that. So somewhat, I love it how it's like a little exclamation point or
0: something. <laughs> yeah,
6: <laughs> that bowhead fat melts in your mouth. Oh, man. it's
0: good, man. Actually, here's just a chunk, I think my kids would like the bowhead, of, but they wouldn't like the walrus.
6: It's
5: not too far removed from like that's a just beef a fat. chunk
2: of blubber. And no, I, that's I I don't I like both, but it's this is the simplest. Just slice this up, eat it with dried meat, and not. Uh, I don't know how to answer your question, but probably there's a, uh, uh, I don't know, I might eat a half a cup. And then and then the, the, the local tradition is then to have um, maybe pilot crackers and jam and tea or coffee. And that was kind of the mm. the lunch we'd have. We'd have dried um, pike, dried whitefish, dried uh, trout, which is harder if it's fat, dried sheafish. Um,
0: Do that little combo of the dried caribou and the bowhead?
2: Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's, good, oh, yeah, that's lunch. Um, but shoot, I keep forgetting what I the, want. To make what are the crackers? The
5: pillow pillow oh, crackers or
2: uh, Sailor Boy Pilot Bread was Pilot um, Bread. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah. What, <laughs> You hear so many
0: Alaskans talk about that and I built up like a high expectation of what pilot bread would be and I finally got so like,
2: that's what they're talking about all the time? Is it like it's a gonna saltine last forever, or what? right? Um yeah, and it's a uh, kind big. of a big cracker for me. But why for... do you guys eat so much of that? Because it preserves well? Um well I joke that it's uh, that um pilot bread is actually inu food. It's uh, uh, it's it's been so uh, adopted by the culture mm-hmm. that um i don't know you just get used to it. it's like eating you know why don't you eat muktuk every day and so that's uh how could you survive without it well like, that's a pilot- hard to draw a tag <laughs> i could get pilot bread but i can't get that but i'm saying it's just funny like rural
0: alaskans and the whole pilot bread thing and it's like it's kind of like a bland thick
4: uh
3: yeah i don't, yeah, even, think it's, I don't even think it's salted well, I don't if you
4: think
2: you're getting your
6: protein what, from oh, the caribou, it's like you're getting your a cracker
2: with no salt. It's a <laughs> carb. <laughs> I'm taking offense. I don't care if you don't like the walrus. I love, <laughs> it,
0: I love it that you guys love it. It's just funny because when I had it, I was like, well, that's what they're
3: talking about? <laughs> when we lived in Fairbanks... Yeah, immediately. Like first time I went to the grocery store, getting some of these. But after those ten months living up there, I didn't miss it when I left Alaska.
1: <laughs> Were you? Did you guys have many sweets at all, or was that like um, the? My da-
2: Yeah, that's very interesting. My dad said uh, that eating all that protein and fat made you greatly desire sweets, and so he would. Uh, we get done with some giant. Um, meal of
0: uh i noticed you got mediterranean
2: mediterranean sea salt of uh that was at the (laughs) hotels my dad collects salt along the shore but um we would get done with a a big meal of you know boiled caribou meat or something and then start uh getting a hankering large hankering for uh, sweets and my dad would take um uh powdered snow you know fluffy snow uh, dairy gold powdered milk, sugar, and vanilla, and start whipping it up in the corner. And, ah, snow ice cream's great. It's just like Dairy Queen. Mm. And we'd have After that. After like, reading your book, I wanted to make it for my kids, but never got around to it. You need that real fluffy, uh, 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 cold, dry snow. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, that falls almost like cottony snow. Yeah, mm-hmm. super nice. And, um, yeah, we'd have that every night. Yeah, it's wow. so sweet. That's, so. Yeah, sounds great. Um,
5: so the, um, the, the fermented... Whale, eat is some it of that Eat the fermented meat... stuff, Cal. Oh, have you already had it? No. I'm, oh, uh, yeah. No, I'd like to try some. It's time yeah. to torture you. And, guys. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. So, will you explain why oh, this is that, part man.
4: of the
2: diet versus what we just had? You sure it's not that uh, woolly mammoth dropping? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, no offense, but it's, you're going to think it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. You're uh, really selling it. Like, bad. Oh, I, you know, the crazy Set thing is my daughter just uh, begged this guy from Point Hope to bring her some. Um, uh, she loves this, but. Oh, really? Yeah. I I'm didn't... telling you what, my new favorite
1: food is your jerky and your muck tuck, oh, but I'm yeah, like good. not so into cool. this, uh.
2: That's fermented whale well meat there, raw version. So what's the, what's the process of uh, fermenting that? It's not. Um, uh, well, we, we, uh, had, uh, <laughs> uh,
0: cold It's, not, it's not, I'm uh, like, I actually found that less, uh, remarkable than the
1: walrus. Small piece.
5: I I think you got to try the walrus again. No,
0: it's
1: not a big deal.
4: (laughs) Yeah, let's give him some more walrus.
5: Steve, I think you got to try the walrus again. I'm good. Because I think you got a funky piece, because I thought it was... I had a couple pieces. Did you eat the hair and everything? Yeah, yeah. Uh Yeah. Didn't
2: want to be rude. (laughs) That fermented... So explain the process on the fermented stuff. Well, it depends. You know, we ate a lot of uh, frozen fermented fish when I was a kid,
0: and... Is it, like, legitimately fermented
2: Uh, well, it's just.
5: Did you have like, the fermented candlefish? I hear that's uh, quite the culinary experience.
2: Haven't. Uh, I don't know what a candlefish is, but. Oh, um, a hooligan! Hooligan! Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I haven't had the fermented. I've dried. Uh, so let's get back to. Uh, in the fall, we were we would come, uh, you know, set our nets and uh, be drying fish, and then it would reach a point where um, I guess it was cold enough uh, that the flies were not going to blow things, and so then we would just start. Uh, dumping uh, wash tubs of fish in the grass. Uh-huh. Try to line them up so they weren't uh, crisscross because you need to chop them apart when they're frozen. And then cover them with grass and I don't know how we kept the bears away then but I guess we had dogs and guns. But um, And then um, that would uh, ferment. You could use a different word if you wanted to. <laughs> like rot? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um <laughs> And um, then uh, after it got cold, uh, which used to happen sort of consistently in, in late September, the ice would freeze and uh, um, we'd separate those fish and then store them all winter. And then we would have lunch that was very similar to this, which would be uh, dried meat, dried uh, um, fish, pike, whitefish and other dried meat. And then frozen, raw, um, fermented um, trout. She fish, whitefish, um, and you take your, uh, bow saw, you know, and saw it like you're cutting a log into yeah. what, like you'd fry steaks. Those were fro- super cold, frozen, bring them in, put them on a, um, a cutting board and then, um, peel the skin off and then just eat those chunks, uh, cut it in chunks between the bones there. So
0: with the pike and the whitefish, are you cutting the pieces so thin you just chew the bones right up?
2: Um, I guess. I feel like we also kind of went around the bones because okay. you, you can see everything pretty clearly. And when you
0: say that you're ca- you you catch fish and you lay them out in the grass, and you just, because you don't want them to freeze together. Lay and them they'd the- sit there some number of days before they
2: froze. Oh, and then yeah. Like you- weeks, weeks. Okay. Yeah. And then eventually you just pile them up. Yeah. And then we put them and on a cache. they're sort of like. You had to put them up on a log cache for the winter because And otherwise- they're sort of fermented. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yep. like most people would look at it and be like, that fish is kind of rotten. Totally. Yep. Rotten okay. fish. Yep.
0: to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative Bold Flavor Full Pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside, staring at screens, and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where... into today, because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth.
2: Why rot it? Just a desired taste? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, yeah. Adds flavor to it. Yeah, but then we would eat, um, like grayling, we would jig um, through the ice after the ice froze in the fall. We would set nets under the ice to catch uh, whitefish for um, people and dogs, and hopefully trout under the ice too, and she fish. And then jig for grayling next to your net because the uh, whitefish are spawning and eggs are coming out. Mm-hmm. So the grayling would swarm there. We would jig there and then we would eat the grayling frozen raw. So it was the same idea as the fermented frozen fish. Mm-hmm. Cut them up. And they're super good. I, If you said, you know, do you want fried grayling or frozen raw? I would definitely want the frozen raw. They're really? A- mm-hmm. man. Yeah. fried oh.
5: fresh grayling is fantastic. That is a tasty fish.
3: We ate, uh, what was it? Frozen thin sliced Tom tomcod cod Tom
0: cod with seal dip oil. Dip in seal oil. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's the same idea. Well, oh. the seal oil is like, I like the frozen tomcod because it's just like, it, it's 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 thin slices. It's so like clean tasting and it's frozen and it's just kind of it's refreshing. The seal oil adds a whole other element to it, man, where okay. it's like a very peppery, like a, like a very, I don't know, like a, like a spicy <laughs> oil. I thought man. it
3: tasted. I thought we said it tasted like cantaloupe almost, didn't it? I don't remember that. Did well, we say that? I, I
2: think you guys did pretty well because <laughs> what I'm finding with sea oil now is um it's often kind of strong. I mean I think Oh, I thought it was strong. Yeah, strong strong. I think when they used to use wooden barrels to render it, it wasn't it was it did a better job of um, making a, sort of a fresh tasting oil. Oh. I wasn't a coastal person, so we were we were known as, you know, up up the river inland as, um, having crappy oil because it was a, you know, you were lower on the totem pole as far as trading and you had your jar of oil that was from last year as opposed to the seal you got yesterday mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Um, but a lot of this stuff, um, I have to Oops. be careful culturally, not say the wrong thing, but I feel like the, 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 a couple generations back the elders had, um, um, I thought they did a better job of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so I end up now with, with seal oil that I often, um, am not as excited about the flavor as when I was a, a kid. And, and some of that's me. I, I notice I'm getting more squeamish. Um, we used to, my parents would, you know, we'd get a muskrat or many muskrats and cook them up and we'd eat the feet and tail. And Yeah. Everything. I wanted to ask you about that. When you say you guys are eating the tails, I don't get it. Well, what are you eating off the tail? I need to tell you about raising kids. Um, if you don't tell your kids not to eat the, the, the butthole or the head or the tail or the lips, they will. Um, and especially if you did tell your kids, like, it's time to eat. And you open the soup pot and there's the entire, you know, gutted, but the the rest of the muskrat there. Uh, While well, the tail's fat and chewy and uh, um, great. So there's a, there's enough under that skin,
0: between the skin and the bones of the tail, you guys are nibbling off like a layer of
2: fat and meat that's yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. And it's the like same, the yield's got to be really low, though. Yeah, but wait a minute. What else would you do with the tail? Just cut it off and fling it in the willows? Yeah. No, put it in the pot. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with with beaver. Like springtime, the ice would go out and, and beaver send their teenage uh, kids out to find new homes. Um, And so along the bea- uh, river would be, we would, uh, my brother and I would, Paddle in our little kayaks that my dad made, and we would uh, uh, shoot <clears throat> shoot beaver and muskrat with uh twenty two. Um, so you skin out the beaver, save the hide, and then cook the feet and head and uh, tail and um, everything else. Um, and yeah, but the tail on a beaver, man, that's got a lot of fat in it. Did I? Mention, I'll
0: try. I'll try the muskrat. tail. I just can't really picture it. I've handled like quite a pile of them, you know.
2: Yeah. Well, I I mean, like I say now, I I probably would. I don't really need muskrat fur and I, I can't remember the last time i got one actually um i just think after i ended up uh with uh, um my first girlfriend and, and later uh, my wife from uh <clears throat> we're not together anymore but living along the river i started being uh um more careful of like oh i should cut that off and. Oh, I don't think she would be that excited to have the the head grinning out of the pot at her. And yeah. um, well, I mean, I knew she wasn't. Um, and so I started my long road to being more squeamish. But as a kid, my parents were just like, "That's what we're having for dinner," and, and fight over the tail. <laughs> um, and then, of course, beaver uh, beaver over the tail was the favorite part. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Tell me about the. Tell me about this road situation you're involved in here. Um, probably in the uh, early 1900s, they built uh Kennecott mine down by McCarthy, and mm-hmm. they built a railroad from Cordova across the glaciers and up and got copper. Uh, they got that copper, and then they started looking for more. And so right about the time my parents went uh, to the Kobuk Valley, there was a, a cabin above our place called was the did
0: a thing pass McCarthy. Nope.
2: No nope. oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, I'm, I'm being long-winded, but there was a cabin that we always called the Kennecott Cabin and we didn't sort of put these pieces together, but that was that mining company uh coming up the Kobuk and had discovered um or or knew about previously discovered copper um up the Ambler River and in the, those mountains. But in the, the
0: Kobuck watershed. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And so all these years, uh, the um, Senator Mikowski, Senator Stevens, all these people have tried to figure, were trying to figure out how to access that. But it's pretty, you know, remote. Um, so they talked about a railroad from like Fairbanks. Like in
0: the way that they could get the ore out. Yeah. yeah. And
2: so now there's been uh, this steady push over the years that has built to uh, um, crescendo now where they're, they've got the EIS kind of mostly through <clears> – <throat> A little complicated that uh all that but they're they're wanting to build a uh, spur road off the pipeline road 200 miles uh, sort of um straight west from the pipeline road through animal or through, not
0: through through the through the um, petroleum
2: reserve um well in this case it's uh, it would go about through bettles and then some native land some state land and through the gates of the arctic national park um and then hit the the head of the Kobuk and end up at um, basically Kobuk Village, hmm. which is a it, which is the village at the uh, furthest um, up the Kobuk River. It would be a 200 mile uh, industrial corridor that would then open up uh, the Brooks Range and Northwest Alaska to the the many many uh, uh, large deposits of minerals and yep. and coal and oil and then. Um, from my point of view, it would uh, uh, r- ruin the maybe the last largest uh, uh, intact ecosystem ecosystem in the world, uh, um, the Brooks Range, um, and then put this these many giant open pit mines at the at the head of the Kobuk and the um, Manilic and Colecta uh, and Ambler all these rivers that flow into the Kobuk. Um and um, and also sort of bring this tidal wave of technology that would change the uh, Inupac way of life, which is already greatly changed, but but sort of finish it off with um, technology and money and uh, you know, influx of people and, and 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 the final thing is change uh, hunting greatly as uh, far as um, um resource conflict and uh and then back to the technology but then um uh the western arctic herd is just this sort of flowing river of caribou that uh, was almost half a million caribou 20 years ago and has dropped now to just a, uh, under two hundred thousand, hundred eighty eight thousand, 188,000 i think and so in fairness on that though i mean that's like a wildly cyclical population
0: of animals that goes up and down with great frequency. I mean, don't you agree with that?
2: I do agree with that. Um, it's, a, it's a very complex subject because right now there's um, um, locally, there's a, a lot of effort put into um, keeping so-called outsiders sure, from yeah. coming up to hunt. Um, but to me, it, it makes no sense if you're um, not uh, uh, looking at your own actions. So at, at home, there's a, uh, there's a kind of a, uh, this is stereotypical uh you know i'm, I'm, I'm speaking in broad ter- broad terms but at home there's this feeling that you know outsiders damage the herd but locals don't mm-hmm. and and at home that we th- there's more of us locally we have more guns and more boats and and um and the herd's falling as we're you know we have more um more stuff to hunt them with and more uh, access and ability and then there's a, uh, a push to build this road at the same time mm-hmm. and, and, um, get more high paying jobs and, and all that. So um, what was the, what's the general, um, I'll point out
0: that anything like this, my, I was going to say my reflex, but it goes beyond my reflex. Uh, I'm always going to be on the side of habitat and I'm always going to be on the side of wilderness, even though you don't like that word. I'm okay with it now because it's pretty handy. Uh, now <laughs> yeah.
2: you know, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, I'm always going to be like, if people are like, well, you have a house and all that. I'm like, okay, uh, if I get to a point where I don't have a house, maybe I'll have this conversation with you. But right now, um, uh, I, we're not going to win every fight, but I'm always going to be on the side of wilderness. I'm always going to be on the side of wildlife habitat. But what are the people, like your neighbors? Okay, like, what, like, if you had to gauge, I'm sure there's a lot of sophisticated polling in alaska about the project but what's just sort of the like the the mood on the street as you live your
2: life up and down this vast kobuk drainage that's a complicated question um there's uh i would argue that the the culture has a lot of fatalism built into it uh mm-hmm. ten thousand years ago you just sort of had to let nature do what it did you couldn't really control a lot and hopefully the the ugric and whales and caribou showed up and if they didn't well so uh, too bad starvation and so i think fatalism is a cultural norm and then along came the i'm going to call them white people <laughs> um and sort of were kind of uh, uh pushy um as far as you know saying what you could do moving in uh, change of culture and so locally there's just these uh, this dual fatalism like these outsiders are going to come take what they want. There's nothing we can do about mm-hmm. it. Um, separate from that is uh, a huge cultural change where you know uh, uh, living off of hunting and fishing is uh, dwindling rapidly, and the young generation really likes their phones and their their toys and their stuff. And um, and so who wouldn't want a, 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 a very high paying job running heavy equipment or something? Sounds like fun. Um, and then, um, there, Alaska, this is a complex thing, but uh, uh, it was divided up into uh, regional native corporations. The native corporations uh pay dividends to their native shareholders. So, you know, Na- got, can, can we pause just for me to explain
0: you, this for a minute? Yeah, you've touched on this earlier, you know, better than me, but I'm gonna like, so correct me where I get this wrong. Um, during the Carter administration, uh, there was a lot of undecided there was a lot of like undecided questions about who owned what parts of alaska and you had a lot of like the, the, they didn't have they don't have the reservation system in alaska like they have in the lower 48 and they started to they wanted to come to some finality about certain land areas and so they started to formally like divide up the state and one of the things they did differently than they did in the 1800s in the lower 48 is when making settlements with native alaskans um, they built corporations and oftentimes multiple, what we might think of as tribes or multiple groups of native Alaskans will belong to a native Alaskan corporation and they'll have a board of directors and they have a chunk of land and they run that chunk of land like industry mineral extraction, timber extraction, whatever, and that income produces payments to shareholders the same way if you are a stockholder in a in Amazon and, and you draw dividends or whatever? Is that good or not good?
2: Um, that's uh, a good start. So <laughs> it, it wasn't the Carter administration, that was ANILCA, which set up uh, like the National Parks and stuff. So previous to that was ANCSA, Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, which okay. I think Nixon signed. Um, and that set up the corporations. It gets incredibly confusing from there, and and uh, don't quote me on any of this. Hopefully, you're not recording this, um, but um, uh, the native corporations do have the land as a uh, uh, you know for resource extraction, etc. But they also uh, were given a, a big chunk of change that they can invest in, like a company that. Um, uh, provided toilet paper to the troops in Iraq or Got or, Got or all sorts of other things. And so, like the uh, North Slope uh, Regional Corporation has done very well on uh, oil and gas. Um, some of the other ones, um, almost like the Alaska Permanent Fund, might have invested in... Uh, whatever you know got yeah, you
0: yeah. um, so so the north on the north slope for instance they've taken oil revenues and diversified their portfolio and invested in
2: presumably yeah, you know i'm not I'm same not, way a
0: pension fund might uh, go around and invest uh, yeah, and
2: stuff. yeah yeah presumably and and so um what happens back to the ambler road is that um uh people the native corporations are, are for profit and so they're kind of like a corporation saying. Oh, this is a uh, this is a good idea. We want this. This will provide jobs, and we'll also pay you separate from your job, you know, native corporation dividends. So in that sense, like wow, what a great deal! Um, And then separately, they say uh, we'll protect your subsistence hunting and fishing. Uh, like, and, you know there's
0: talk of like limiting the road that the road will never be open to outside yeah, traffic yeah. like the hall road
2: the pipeline road was and, and which is now open yeah and yeah. so there's the, it, it would take uh, you know hours and hours and hours just to touch the tip of the iceberg on this but but those are the 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 thing the propaganda for the road um it's hard if you're actually paying attention to say this, billion dollar road or and then many open pit mines which I, I know would lead to more roads and more mines um, is not going to damage the caribou herd or the or the subsistence hunting or the quality of the water or anything well I think but fishing
5: there... in itself right like all the different spawning species of fish that you mentioned right and in just small streams this road as it's perceived would would have to go over yeah, three thousand
2: small streams, something like that, and many major rivers and et cetera. It's a, it's a, um, a giant industrial corridor into the into the Brooks Range, which it's hard to if you don't know the Brooks Range, it's hard to explain just how wild that is. But well, let's imagine a mountain range the size of California. Okay, yeah, <laughs> with with no people, with all okay. road, with all yeah. road crossing, no, no road, no roads, and yeah, and then um, but if you're going up
0: the pipeline road and you you know, and you wander off to the 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 West, west. you'd be like, you'll hit another road in Siberia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
6: (laughs) There's a lot, like, there's a lot of parallels between this road and the pebble mine where you had, and the pebble mine, you had like a lot of diverse groups that pushed back against the road. Is that happening?
2: Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that because it's been uh, uh, super frustrating to me over the last uh, decade that... Pebble Mine is so known, and yeah. people have stickers and hats and and every other Dude, it was
0: well-marketed, man.
2: Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, from my point of view, the Ambler Road is much, much more detrimental. Um, we don't have the Bristol Bay fishery to say, well, millions of dollars in uh, uh, red salmon harvest potentially could be damaged. We have, you know, the fishery that I've fished in for 47 years that, makes very little money and um and but we and we have those the sheafish that you know the the most uh uh, fish don't um live everywhere and so we have the the sheafish population there we have these incredible uh long huge rivers that are you can dip your cup in the water and and, but but how do you equate that to value and say like well dipping my cup in the value in the water feels good to me but but oh, this road would bring jobs, and so it's a hard argument, and it's not been publicized at all, let alone on the on the yeah, Pebble. Yeah. Um, and and I would say it's uh, um, I don't want to um, do the apples and oranges thing, but it's at least as important as Pebble, and I would say much more so. Where you gave me a hoodie? Did you design that hoodie? Not that one. And I gotta admit. You know, I uh, I went to Cordova to uh, do a a book uh, reading, and somebody came up to me and gave me a shirt that said "No Road Cordova," didn't say anything about protecting your food or anything. And I I asked people, and they were trying to stop a thirty-mile road. I think it oh, was. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm familiar oh, with do that you? I, yeah. I'm not familiar with it, but so I wore that around, and and then I was like, I got to make some of these that say "No Road Amblers," and um, a lot of the time up home. Um, I feel like the Lone Ranger. I mean, people know I'm against the road, but uh, locally, um, this is getting back to uh, before we started talking about the Native Corporations and uh, Land uh, Claims Act, but locally, people have that fatalistic attitude, but they also have this, you're not supposed to speak out. Um, you're supposed to just you know, keep to yourself about, if you're against the road, you just, you're not supposed to talk about it. And um, and so I'm this lightning rod, this lone ranger, uh, you know, trying to stop the road. But I don't – people come up to me in private and say, you know, can I have a hoodie and thanks and whatever. But in public, uh, people are not speaking out. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that is the, the Native Corporation, um, you know, potentially would provide jobs and you won't, you know, if they're going to build the road, you'd maybe you'd want to be one of the people with it. Um, you don't want to anger your neighbors. You don't want to, uh, there's all, all the normal reasons that humans might or might not speak out. And, um, so I think there's a lot of people who are against the road, but it would be hard to quantify. It would be hard to get them to speak out. Um, Meanwhile, the propaganda machine is is sort of grinding forwards, um, saying all the, the 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 goodness the road would would bring um, and, a lot of jobs the yeah. animals will actually like it yeah yeah um <laughs> because the caribou
0: someone got that famous picture of caribou getting shade under the pipeline oh yeah yeah no they like it
5: <laughs> well and then they that, go there to get shade um, think um, of how much easier it is a uh, for a caribou to run down a road versus over tussocks yeah.
2: so the uh north of uh, uh on the coast is a, it's a red dog mine which was established probably uh 25 30 years ago between Kamenco, a native mining company, and and the local native corporation Nana, um, and um, they have a 52 mile uh, state road from the mine to the uh, the coast, a port site, and um, and it's very very popular at home. It's brought uh, people high paying jobs, which um, is a whole other subject. What that does to hunting and 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 people's lives and stuff, but um, that road doesn't lead to you, you couldn't drive from Miami to... <laughs> it's not on the road system. Yeah, it's it's a road that's not on the road yeah. system. Yeah. And then, um, but um, caribou come down that coast, the Western Arctic herd, uh hits that road at times. And the, the fishing game collars, uh, radio tracking collars, show uh, that that stops the caribou for uh, uh, extended periods of time or potentially keeps them from migrating um, uh, further south. And that's a little road, a short road that um, um, is a little speck along the coast there compared to um, this road that would come up the pipeline, um, off the pipeline road north of Fairbanks, and then 211 miles um, uh, east west. Um, so, as far as the caribou migration, um, the effects could be. Uh, um, Catastrophic, really. You can't have a herd of, uh, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) Serengeti-like animals uh, roaming over giant areas um, and then slowly cut back on that area without um, something happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I guess I wanted to say uh, another thing about the the migration. So the migration has changed greatly in the last... um, uh, 10, 20 years, and we got really spoiled in my young life. Where uh, August, September, October, all in there it comes this flood of caribou coming through the yard, you know, thousands of caribou. Uh, oh, I don't want to get one tonight, you know, I got a band aid on my thumb, I'll get one in the morning, you know, whatever. There's just so many caribou flooding through to now where these last falls, uh, I've seen like zero um, or Or a cow and calf 18 miles away or something. Um, And that's the migration uh, uh, not happening or delaying. All different things are are taking place. And it's super warm in the fall. Um, There's more hunters on these rivers, uh, local hunters driving boats. And then the final thing, which I mentioned before, that people like to... uh, uh, blame the lack of migration on, which is fly-in outside hunters, which mm-hmm. are, are coming in on super cubs and stuff to the uh, leapfrog north of us. Um, so it's a it's a very contentious uh, issue when you mix the uh, resource conflicts uh, with the uh, development and and, uh, and all that. Yeah. And the, and the lands claim stuff, which is super confusing, too. Well,
0: with the industrial <laughs> development, I think that you'll uh, look back on the piss and match between outside hunters and locals as the good old days.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I recently met, um, people that talked about, uh, oh, working together and stuff The locally, we don't really have uh, a reason to work together because, um, you can, this is going to sound, uh, (laughs) mean, but the the locals can kind of go to the federal government and say, um, you know, protect us because Anilka mm-hmm. said, um, uh, on federal land, there would be a, uh, subsistence preference for, sure. for local hunters. Um, so. Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't want to get into it, but I think that's been grossly exploited. Oh yeah. I think take, I, I think there's a lot of bullshit with taking, um, there's been like a lot of overreach I feel on the part of like really like blaming small amounts of outside hunters for these like huge macro issues about caribou. I think it's just, it's like just sticking it to people.
2: I don't disagree with you. Um, but I think that most, uh, groups on planet earth, uh, have long used whatever they can to their advantage. Yeah. Most. Yeah. And so all, or yeah, (laughs) yeah. I was trying to, um, soften the edges on that, but, yeah, and so that's in place right now. I um, I put a proposal into the board of game to limit um, the number of caribou that myself and others up there were allowed to get because I thought it was um, uh, ludicrous. If we're saying um, we live subsistence, we should be allowed to do whatever we want and outsiders shouldn't be allowed to do anything. Um, and so what about taking a look at ourselves and trying to make our subsistence activities more responsible um why do we need to be allowed you know five caribou a day every day of the year um when we're uh uh, worried about the caribou herd yeah and Uh,
0: it's the the, the dude that comes in and gets one it's like blowing the whole
2: thing and so i I got horribly shot down on that um (laughs) um but i i think it's coming i mean Mm. I, i hope it's coming i think as as uh People who live there and care about that spot—I'm one of them—and and, and um, well, I don't know. I, I do think there's a local attitude of um, uh, locals can't hurt the resources; it's only outsiders, and and uh, all that needs to change. I'm sorry to say it's a, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to have some people that give me some flack over that, but oh, yeah. our our local um, way of treating the resources has has gotten a little out of hand, and then. Um, if we do want to blame the outsiders, which is great fun and really um, feels good, um, we to ne- every group <laughs> out there, um, we need to uh, clean up our act as best as we can. Uh, Seth Cantor, three things: How do people find out? What's the best resource
0: for people to find out your perspective on the road? And then, what's the best way for
2: people to find you as a photographer and author, and to find yeah. your work? Um, I have a uh, a website which apparently is uh, hideously unkempt kept and I don't I don't I don't do much I don't know how to do computers very well but anyway I have a website SethKantner.com. dot com and That's I S
4: E T H K A N T N E R dot
2: and um and on there I have a few of my thousands of caribou photos and and um, and my books um, and a few of my uh, articles. Um, Nowadays, I think everybody, well, you mentioned Googling how to find a diamond out of a ring. I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't Google much at all, but uh, you can Google me and you'll end up with these uh, articles I've written, books I've written, and then uh, op-eds about the Ambler Road, which some of them I've been pretty happy with. Uh, I, I recently... Had a, a crazy opportunity to meet uh, Secretary of Interior Deb Holland, and uh, and uh, I wrote about that. And uh, and these are sort of boiled down. I try to make the Ambler Road issue as uh, you know it's complex, but I try to clarify it in you in know a, in a thousand words for for people. Um, my books, my bo- most recent book, this "A Thousand Trails Home: uh, uh, Living with Caribou" is uh, available on there if you want. Uh, you know, me to ship you one and, uh, and sign it however you want, but it's uh, then you got to pay for postage. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, there's other sources. Um, my publisher on that is a nonprofit Mountaineers uh, uh, Books um, out of Seattle, and they are, um, you know, strong advocates of, um, you know, um, environmental protections and other th- the, uh, use of the uh, outdoors. And so ordering from them, I imagine. Um, uh, mountaineers.org um, is uh, uh, potentially makes more of the money go to a good got cause, it, it. Um, but uh, my publishers have all been nonprofits and and haven't. Uh, uh, I say I make enough money from writing to pay for beer, but it just keeps going up. Uh, it's <laughs> the a, beer, <laughs> yeah, hundred and ten dollars in Kotzebue for five six packs. Um, and so that's Jeez. become a little challenging. And but- that's not
0: some kind of goofy Yanni beer. Either. That's probably like just regular old beer. Yeah. Is it so- like, how,
6: like, is it hoppy? Like, <laughs> how cit- how citrusy? Yeah, you might have to start uh, brewing your own over the winter or something.
2: Oh, uh, well, no comment. I think it's a <laughs> felony, but up there. About-
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Seth Kantner, author most recently of the phenomenal book, A Thousand Trails Home Living with Caribou. Um, and many, many, many. Damn near all the themes we covered in today's episode will be picked up. Uh, Stay tuned. Wednesday's drop. You'll see all Seth Cantor does on the trivia show. And Spencer probably will throw him a bone. Like what is Seth Cantor's favorite color? Uh, He'll probably throw him some kind of bone, but uh, stay tuned. Game on suckers coming up. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with aji verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire-charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold.